Is this thing on? Are you ready, Matt? You're listening to Box Office Avengers with Matt Diaz and Ernesto Santos. Good evening, folks. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of Box Office Bingers. Ernesto, we are one away from our big 100. But before we get... I know, right? (laughs) It's really weird. (laughs) Uh, But before we get to the big 100, we got to focus on this one, episode 99. And we have one hell of a show for you guys this week. Ernesto, tell our lovely listeners what we are reviewing this week and who do we have our special guest for this week. Well, we're reviewing a movie I've definitely been looking forward to, uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, sci-fi, um, also directed Arrival and Blade Runner 2049, um, based on a novel written by Frank Herbert, which I've actually read, I've read most of it, so I'll have some, I do have some, a little bit of book input for when we have that conversation, but we are bringing on the one, the only. Brandon had not. Sir, thank you. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you. Oh, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Always fun. I just uh, love Brent. having you on because it's like every time you come on, you always have something exciting to talk about. And I'm so oh. and and even since last time we talked, you have a you have you do have some updates to in your uh, professional space that you got oh, going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, we kind of want to start the show on that because like you are trying to work on some of your, sh- you're trying to like kickstart your short films. Mm-hmm. So if if you don't mind, like kind of tell us what's going on with with with, with your upcoming projects. Yeah, definitely. Um, so after like a long break, I feel like of not doing any filmmaking at all, uh, I got this grand idea to during the pandemic to um start an anthology i got like really into reading anthologies especially stephen king stuff um so i thought of birth of flowers a horror anthology um and it is ideally going to be six short episodes uh shot like short films that tell a story from beginning to end uh that is um, horrifying, uh, visually interesting. I wanted it to be uh, horror and sci-fi, the blend of those things. Um, and I just really wanted to kind of jump into horror kind of for the first time. Um, so I'm just, I'm really excited about that. It's ex- inspired from all the things that I've been reading and watching throughout the pandemic uh, at home. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and, and, and you're a pretty big horror fan. Like, so, yeah. like, I'm assuming they're getting a lot of big inspiration from, like, the oh, latest yeah. stuff you've been watching this whole time. Definitely. <laughs> so, question uh, for you. Have you watched Midnight Mass? Yes. Oh, mm. yeah, yeah. Because when you, when you talk about your anthology series, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, Haunting a Hill House, like, Haunting, like, Blind Manor, very much in that Heavy same Heavy inspo from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, Haunting of Hill House was, like, the show like on Netflix that I watched and I was like, I want to do something like this. Like if mm-hmm. I, if I jumped into horror, I would want it to be something like this, you know? And I know that Mike Flanagan, his anthologies are more like connected, uh, per 
series in that anthology, whereas yeah. mine and Birth of Flowers will be every single episode uh, will jump into another character's life oh, uh, and them okay. into another different situation. Oh, uh, interesting. So, okay, so yeah. kind of like black, like like Black Mirror almost. Like every yeah, episode, yeah, is yeah, more like Black right. Mirror, but heavier on the horror uh, because yeah. Black Mirror has a really good horror episode, and I wish they had more. Uh, where playtest. Um, where oh, he yeah. uh, goes into that that video game where that game developer uh, and he signs up for this thing and it ends up being a horrifying nightmare. Uh, so That's yeah, right. I um I, I sat for a long time, um thinking like oh should I just tell this connected story across these episodes and everything and let it build up kind of sort of like a long movie or should I just do these episodes with these different things and what what made me finalize my decision was. I was laying out the board and everything. Uh, I was doing these beat boards for the episodes, and I was just like, I could go really, really far with some of these ideas, and I can keep some of them grounded. So I was like, okay, I want to do that more. <laughs> and like, how, how much, how much time are you like? I mean, I'm sure it's, it's, it's. Well, the project never sleeps, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> like, how much, like, time does it work to like really like solidify the story? Like, are you still working on the story now? Yeah, um, I wrote some episodes. Uh, some of them were like scratchy and everything, where I just wrote a couple pages and then went to the next one and whatnot. I had one good episode finished, while the rest of them were kind of building out a little bit more. And then after I finished those up, I went back and started making revisions again mm -hmm. <laughs> and then again. And then I let my wife read it, and you know she was an English major in college and everything, and like you know she was helping me through some like little. Uh, redundancies and whatnot, and she would like she she she'll keep it real. <laughs> and I love that. Uh, She's like, you, uh, you use the wrong or. Come on, you're better right. than that. <laughs> or she'll she'll just straight up tell me, you know, like, oh, this isn't really scary right here. You know, it'll be more interesting if this happened or if something happened right here or this drags on a little too long. So it's like I'm never really done. Even when I release it, I feel like I'm not done. I just you know decided hey it's time and just mm -hmm. put it out there like i'll just say i ran out of time and had to had to do it yeah uh, so yeah that's been that i and, feel like every project is like that though like okay. every project every time you work on something when you're done you're like it's done but it's like i could have like you always go back and like oh, i could have done more yep. especially yeah. when you especially once you release it and then you wait and then come back to it like right. the, after you've been like more experienced like looking at your work from like year group. 1 to now yeah it's part <laughs> of the growth <laughs> i i rewatched the corridor and man i'm like uh if i knew then what i know now but it's out there. It's it belongs. But at least you have a reference. At least you have a reference point of work yeah. that you've put out. How many ideas that people say are great, and they just live in their head, but you actually right. put in the work to put it out. So I mean, Thanks, you're you're on your way, man. I'm looking forward to see what what project you have. Your next project. You guys are so kind. <laughs> and, and, but but it's true though. I mean that that's the big thing. I mean there's a lot of things that stay in a lot of people's head. They could be fantastic ideas. The next the next award winning film or next short film or whatever. But if you don't do the work to put it out there, no one's gonna see it. And I feel like that's half the battle. Is like not only do you have to start doing the work, you have to be consistent with it too. Yeah, like you definitely. got you you have to you know you have to make like this is your vision and you're not willing to stop until it's it's completed or at least put out there so people can can witness it and I do know that Brandon you are you started a GoFundMe so you can you know help fund these projects uh, tell us a little about that and like where can people go to uh, support what you're trying to do and we'll yeah. definitely link it to the episode so people Perfect. can reach it for us as well. Yeah, started the GoFundMe campaign. I was, you know, first of all, I was like terrified to even put it out there. 
Uh, because even af- even now, even after people have helped me make past things, I just have this like wall where I'm like, okay, don't ask for help for whatever reason, like especially mm-hmm. financially. Um, and I had to get over that. People said a lot of em- empowering things, you know, uh, and they helped me get past that. And I'm glad I did because like in within like the first week, the first like three or four days, they got us to like 2K. Um, and then the week after that, you know, like a couple uh, more donors started pouring in and I was just, I was really moved. I always get really emotional when people do like super nice things like that. Um, but yeah, at GoFundMe, uh, if you search Birth of Flowers um, or if you look at my link tree on Instagram, uh, it'll be there. Uh, and also, I just went ahead and got a domain for it. Uh, if you go to birthofflowers.com, it'll take you to a little basic splash page where you click the learn more button. And it'll take you straight to the GoFundMe. Uh, I plan to build that site out a little bit more as I start to uh, journal my experience from the start uh, so that you guys can kind of just tune in, read a blog, see how it's going, see what I'm doing, uh, and maybe even go there first for a trailer. Um, So, yeah, that's been that. It's funny because uh, Birth of Flowers originally, like, I was writing it as a book. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I just out of nowhere started, you know, just doing the screenplays. Like, you know, I'm not going to wait for this i really like some of these stories that i've done in here and already i've kind of changed some things as they translate from the page to the screen uh because it's so different you know the screenplay format and then like i guess prose format or anything like that um there are just things just work differently when you want them to happen in the camera and it helped me see what it's like to um i guess kind of make an adaptation of something (laughs) because i had to do it to myself yeah (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I'm, it's not easy to like ask for help and like to, to do that. So, you know, congratulations for, you know, even taking that step. And also, you know, people are actually, they believe in your project and we believe in it too. So hopefully uh, it comes to flourishing and we'll be the first person to go check it out as soon as you put it out there. Absolutely. Yes. Um, As a sneak preview. (laughs) I would definitely appreciate it. Um, and you know, and if, you know, if we can have like a tour on set, I mean, if it just happens to be short, we'll, <laughs> we'll, saying, do, you know, we'll just, we'll do that too. We'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get the then, exclusive. And then we could review it and review it with a director. I mean, yeah. and a creator. Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. We would say nothing but great things about it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we'd we'll still be honest. <laughs> I, I, I All right. want that. My first right. ever full honest review. I got yeah. notes. All right, Brandon, here we go. Number one, it, you know, it could have been a little bit scary you're just saying just saying but you know but you know there is that there is that fine line because you don't want to just be like if somebody's going to show you something if you really care about that person you won't just say oh yeah it was good like no you got to give like some kind of constructive criticism yeah if they especially if you have to they have to that person has to value your opinion though because otherwise they just seem like some asshole on the street (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. you're not wrong (laughs) yeah Yeah. well guess what your opinion sucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) why did he even call you in the first place i don't understand (laughs) just wait Um, but yeah, I, I, when I saw you post that on, on Instagram, I was like, man, look at this guy. He's, he's, he's doing it. And, and I know that you, I mean, you've done stuff from the past. And so it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're going back into it and you know, you're doing the, the steps to, to get there because like making a movie guys, it's not cheap. It's, 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 oh it's, it's God, not, it's not, not cheap to fun. If and, you want to like, do it right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
And, th- and that's the thing. Like, when you have these visions in your head, you do want to make it right. And so, um, yeah, all, all the power to you, Brandon. Hopefully it comes out the way you want it to. And, like, I'm sure, like, once it's fully funded, you're like, well, shit, now the hard part is about to happen. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm sure. Not only, but not only are you writing it, you're also doing, I've seen you, your Instagram, you're shooting a lot of camera, you're doing a lot of camera tests as well yeah yeah i just want to make sure that uh you know i with this equipment i've, I've used a black magic uh, pocket cinema cam before but i wanted to make sure that i could get like good with it and uh learn how to take time you know setting up composition and lighting a scene and shooting short side for characters and everything i want to go i want to make a better project than i did the last time and i want to continue to do that you know uh, sorry i didn't mean awesome. to cut you off <laughs> Oh no, no, you're fine, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, obviously you're putting into the work to it. Obviously, I'm sure any of your free time, you're probably just diving into this project. Oh yeah, and 100%. and it and it shows obviously because you want to make sure it looks good, and so that's why we are highly anticipating watching this next thing. Oh. And and so like, is it going to be an all once in your head? I'm not sure if you thought that far into it, but when it's all finished, it's like, do you want to release these in like in a, like you got to wait a week to see the next one, or it's going to be like a big dump? Here's all six episodes. I spent a long time thinking about that too, and I think I'm just gonna um, go ahead and do it as like a big, big dump. <laughs> All mm-hmm. six episodes, people can binge it and everything. Uh, because I've been watching how other people uh, have done things in the past, of you know, uh, across Vimeo and YouTube, and I've just been binging like short films that other people have made and uh, scaring the crap out of myself because some of them <laughs> are just like really, really good. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, I just I love being able to you know, look at something from a talented filmmaker and say, oh, man, that was really good. I want to go see some more. And then I look on their page and there's more. Uh, it's a great feeling. So I want yeah. to be able to give people that if they uh, love the first episode and it creeps them out enough, um, I want them to be able to go and see all the rest of them there and say, all right, I've hit the gold mine. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, again, good luck to you. Um, we'll, we'll, we have a link on the GoFundMe page on our on, in the descriptions in our podcast description if you go to our probably our instagram page or whatever um uh the link will be there as well on our social media channels so yeah we definitely want to fund him and make sure that he gets his uh gets uh, gets the project he wants to get made Thank you. but di- didn't you also have an update with dr dyslexia i thought i saw you post something oh recently. yeah yeah um i had been at the same time i was working on some client projects and uh dr sean robinson and dr Nshir robinson's uh Dr. Dyslexia Dude 3, the third book, uh, just came out. And um, that was a whole lot of fun to work on because they were adding new characters this time. Each of them have, like, a special kind of learning-based superpower of, like, phonemes and graphemes and orthography and all of that. I learned new words (laughs) from all that (laughs) stuff. And uh, that was was just a lot of fun because it got to be kind of, like, sort of like an Avenger setup for, like, an educational, um, you know, uh, comic book. Yeah, so um, being able to take my experience from the last like two or three years working on the series and putting it into this was really fulfilling. Um, took a lot of time, uh, but by the end of it, it, it was like like it is every time, like a, a breath of fresh air and looking at it and you know being able to be proud of it is a good feeling too. So absolutely, yep, that was that. <laughs> and you're the illustrator on that, correct? Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, so an artist as well. Look at that, man of yeah. many talents. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we talked about uh, in pre. I think it was the last time we either had you on or the time prior. We talked uh, in length about Doctor Dyslexia Dude uh, and your contributions to it and what the meaning is of the book. Uh, yeah, go back and listen to that episode. And, and also, you know, if 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 you're interested, um, is there was there is there a link that you can go to to purchase the book as well? Yeah, um, right now it's uh, Dr. Sean A. Robinson dot com, and it's about halfway okay. down the website. Uh, currently, there's still a website uh, for it, uh, officially um, called Dr. dot com, just the dr and Dr. Mm-hmm. dot com, and both sites will take you to the storefront, I believe. Okay. Sounds like, sounds good. Um, so yeah, so now we're going to talk about news, and we have a lot of news to talk about this week. Um, and we're going to be starting off with kind of the news that's kind of been sweeping a lot of the headlines, been grabbing a lot of headlines, and it's it's a heartbreaking news. And uh, and I hate to even talk about this, but this is the reality. And and I think by talking about it, we can be saying something about, uh, I, I guess, just our industry. But the actor Alec Baldwin. I mean, I'm sure you guys heard about this, but actor uh, Alec Baldwin fired a prop gun while filming a scene in New Mexico on Thursday, this past Thursday, causing the death of a cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and wounding director Joel uh, Joel, uh, Souza, I believe his last name is. Uh, The accident occurred on set of Rust, an independent independent feature that was filming at the Bonanza Creek Ranch, a popular production location south of Santa Fe. Now, this is an ongoing investigation, but within the last few days, a lot of news has been coming out about the incident, uh, such as Alec Baldwin saying he was unaware that there was a live rounds in the gun and was told that it was safe to use by the production's assistant director. The assistant director said that he did not know lives round, live rounds were in the prop gun and the weapon was readied by the armorer beforehand, which was the person who inspects all the weapons to make sure they're safe to use. Uh, the film's production has been shut down until the investigations are complete. I think more news even came out today that the yeah. assistant director, I think, said in a statement that he failed to look at the gun beforehand and basically maybe even trusting the armor and not doing a double check. There's also other articles I've been reading that the, the, the chain of command, the armorer should not have even given the gun to the assistant director. It should be from the armorer to the actor, no in between. So there's a lot that's going on to here, but I think the most important thing out of all of this is like this, this situation could have been completely a hundred percent avoidable um, if the proper channels were in play. And Ernesto, I can't imagine that, that if people felt like they were overworked in these productions, this had something to do with the workload that was being presented to these production workers and maybe even led to the, the strike that almost happened. Yeah, I mean, I thought I remember hearing in one of the reports saying that um, that another armor in the industry was offered that position and initially turned it down because the roles and responsibilities required was like the arm that armor was a, was a job of like two or three other people all rolled into one mm-hmm. so that they can so that they can keep cut cut so they can keep their costs cost. down yeah. but i think the the main thing is that like the armor like what the chain of command it just makes sense that why would the armor hand it to somebody else like why would you break like you should if you're loading it you should hand it to the person who's right. going to use it right, right. And, 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 and maybe I, there should be a double check before you before the scene starts. I mean, I don't know. Absolutely. Like, 
And then I know there are a lot of questions in there. It's like, why was the gun even loaded in the first place? Because, and then also why, I mean, it was pointed to, um, so I'm assuming the direction of the camera, which would make sense. And that would lead to the unfortunate uh, death of the cinematographer, Elena Hutchins. Um, and, you know, all the thoughts and prayers go out to her family because again, this seems like the situation could have been, it's devastating. Like, you don't like you're, you're making pretend for real. Like you're, you're, you're making a movie that should be a fun and not a, you know, it should be a fun experience. Um, and the fact that it led to, to this, it's just, it's just heartbreaking to hear. And I, I do believe that like you were saying, Ernesto, that it's, if it's the over, if, if they were being overworked, like it could have been an easy oversight to overlook. It's like, I'm just really tired. I trust you. Here you go. Or it's like, Hey, I got something else to do. Can you hand this over to the actor? Um, it's all good. And it's just like these little steps that could have been avoidable. That's just heartbreaking to hear at the end of the day that this was the the end result of that. I mean, I feel like that's something, especially with the amount of years that Alec Baldwin has been in the business. Like, mm-hmm. like let me just double check. Like before we get the scene started, doesn't it's not right. gonna hurt. Let me take two seconds. I mean, I don't know. Like I get, I understand being in the moment, but that's one of those things. Like, and then and then there's reports that there were live rounds just throughout the set in open boxes like there weren't right nothing was secure but like what why do you need why did, does the movie need live rounds mm-hmm. yeah it, it does seem odd i don't know much about you know standard film production so i don't know if that's a common thing or not that's true. um but it, it does seem a little odd that that is what you know that is what transpired um and then also i'm sure that alec baldwin feels devastated for even you know pulling the trigger and realize what he did at oh, that I'm moment sure. He has to live with that for regardless of whatever happens. He has to live with the fact that he shot her like just in point blank, like right, Mm -hmm. right in front of her, just shot her. Like, yeah, that would be super traumatizing for everybody on set, you know, especially you know him and uh, even even the other person who was injured. I think the director uh, was injured. The director, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so, you know, and the the whole discourse is going on and on and on, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, and everything about. What should happen? What shouldn't have happened? And um, you know, like I think uh, I've seen a bit of like nuance being discussed, where it's just like you know, on one hand you got union workers who are saying like, hey, you know, why don't you just hire people who know how to do the job, who won't make that kind of mistake? And then you've got a larger community, I believe, um, saying, hey, you know, why don't you just not use live weapons and right. use you know, maybe blow back airsoft guns and then put a muzzle flash in there. Or if you do have to use, uh, you know, an actual live or real uh, gun, you know, just don't use the bullets and put it all in there with VFX or CGI um, and yeah. all of that, too. Uh, so it's just been, you know, nonstop. Uh, I, I feel terrible for, you know, um, Helena Hutchins' family and also the cast and the crew of Rust. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, that's like a the number one fear. Like, as a filmmaker, I don't want anybody getting hurt on set. Like, yeah. now that especially we have these this uh, these materials and whatnot, um, you know, with the GoFundMe funds that people have already donated, um, I've been able to get a C-stand. Um, when I was working at a digital media, media school, I learned a lot about the various ways you can use those, but I also learned that they could be really dangerous. Um, they, yeah the arms on those things alone if they drop if somebody hasn't like um fastened a knob enough they could just slip and clonk you on the head you could be in the hospital or worse uh you don't you know weigh things down with a heavy duty sandbag or a few 
that could be an injury if you don't um, strip down the uh, the cables and whatnot or the stingers and all that kind Absolutely. of stuff. Somebody could trip, cause a couple lights to fall over, hurt themselves. There are there are like a million ways to die on set. I hate to say it, uh, but there are like so you true. know yeah um, safety has to be number one. And I just uh, I, I can't imagine how horrifying that would be. I, I would never want something like that to happen ever. Um, but yeah, it, it's so wild. It, it is definitely a wild situation, and and even you know looking at this whole situation, it's like safety is one of the should be the most important priority. Hopefully, if anything comes out of this this whole investigation moving forward, and and it, and it sucks because it feels like a situation like this needs to happen for people to take things seriously. Um, it, it's kind of similar to where like if people. Uh, if people are speeding down a particular road and it, you know a car hits a pedestrian, that's when you're going to put the stop sign there. Well, yeah. well the, I feel like the stop sign should have been there in the first place instead of the after right. the fact. So, I unfortunately... Mean, it's, it's, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, as terrible as 9-11 was, it changed airports forever. Absolutely. Your family used to be able to go right up to the gate with you, uh, so, you know, yeah. and the TSA stuff was uh, pretty quick, I think, if I remember correctly. And, you know, when that happened, like, security ramped up, like, overnight, basically, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And, can't even and, and toothpaste now. Right. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Can't and have, that, like, eight more than eight ounces of liquid in your, in your carry-on or something. No, you're throw right. Throw away yeah. so many things at the gate. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, even a water bottle I had bought two minutes ago is, like, you have to either drink that or throw it away. It's, like, yeah. I mean, you see the liquid in there. It's, like, doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> chug. Um <laughs> Um, but yeah, but to, to the point, hopefully that, you know, all these other productions that are ongoing right now, we'd like, Hey, we're going to, you know, double check everything, make sure everything is tightened. Is everyone secure before we, before we run the set? Like, um, like hopefully safety is now put on a more of an aware to everybody, um, when those, when, when you're filming. And so it's just heartbreaking to hear. And obviously this is an ongoing thing. So we might hear more about this soon. Um, but I mean, also, I, Alec Baldwin, he is definitely um, in in like a retirement age. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear that he is no longer like he's done with acting at, at this point, because I can't imagine having that underneath my uh, under my belt, like that, that the situation that happened. Um, but yeah, this is an ongoing situation. So if anything big happens after that, we'll come back in here and talk about it. Um, but just devastating to hear. Um, Moving on to that story, I know Ernesto, you brought this story to my attention about the uh, Dave Chappelle controversy, and and Dave Chappelle uh, responded to the said controversy about his comedy special. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know much about this story, so I want to kind of toss it over to you and uh, explain what's going on and the importance of the situation. Well, recent his recent special, The Closer, just dropped on Netflix, and it it did it, it sparked a lot of controversy because he. Um, he was seen as to be punching down to the trans community and mm-hmm. but realistically, and this is me as I've watched it, like personally, I don't feel that I, I don't feel that because if you listen, if you watch the whole special from start to finish, you would see that through his experiences and the stories that he life experiences that he shares, you would see that he does not feel this way. So mm-hmm. the, after the special drop, it launched this an actual like walkout of the trans employees at Netflix. Like they were, they protested, they protested working there. Um, and you know, and they, he responded saying that, you know, he's willing to meet with them, but you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna bend to anybody's demands. All he asked, he gave them some demands and one of them being like to watch the whole thing from start to finish. And then to tell you how it feels. Cause it kind of just feels like, 
like people are just latching on to like what they think that he said without actually mm-hmm. watching the special. Because if you actually watch the special, you would see that he does not feel you would 100 percent not feel that way. Brandon, I don't know if you've seen it or if you watched Dave no, Chappelle. I, I haven't seen it. I, I for one, I have like such a huge backlog of things to watch. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, with him, like I've, all I've been hearing is like uh, all the controversy in the media and everything, and. You know myself, I've been I've been trying to do some like learning on like things like the trans community and whatnot. Same. Um, yeah. I just started watching um, Why the Last Man on uh, FX Hulu. Amazing mm. show so far. You know, I hadn't even gotten to the graphic novel like that yet, uh, but I heard only good things, so I checked the show out right away. Um, and now it's making me even more conscious of uh, the trans community and the things that they feel. And um, you know, one thing I've learned is that whenever a com- <clears throat> excuse me a community feel very strongly about a thing um i feel like the uh the the celebrity or whatever whoever's you know at the moment being uh the topic of discussion that they they kind of have a duty to like be a little bit more gentle or tender like it, it never feels good when somebody's saying like hey you hurt me you know you you did this thing or uh, you know you said something that i really don't like or even if i heard that you said something that i don't like and then you didn't really say that uh, you know, I think we in this world, especially in this time, especially just have to be able to uh, try a little tenderness. Um, Dave Chappelle, I haven't seen the special or anything, but like this is like the second or more time that he's popped up as the topic of the conversation. It ha- it's happened to Kevin Hart, too. And I know that comedians can end up in a in a pretty saucy place sometimes based on the, <laughs> the things they say and the jokes that they make uh, and, and the art that they make. But I think that I think that's what it really points to is like like this they have it's like there's a way to they they're free to express themselves in their art but like do you are they doing an act or is that how really how they feel like like comedians for as long as I can remember have always said like off the wall crazy shit you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah. like they've always they've always they've always been known to be the ones in our society that push the envelopes they talk about the things that people like like are almost like like afraid to talk about you know what i mean and they 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 trying to bring it up in a comedic way and i think he talks about i think the way that he talks about the community in in the special especially when he relates it to an extremely personal story of someone in his life like i feel like you get a better picture of who he is as an individual like you, I feel like you get a better understanding of of him, and everything that he's at, and things that he's actually done for the community. Right. That people don't that people don't latch on to. They just latch on to the things that he says in his act. And I think yeah. it's like you know, and he it is funny because in a, without really giving it away, there's a part of he there's a part of his act where he's like they want to cancel me on Twitter. He goes that's okay because Twitter's not a real place. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Twitter can seem really loud, but it is a very small bubble of, of voices and whatnot. I'm sorry, Matt, you were going to say something. No, no, no. It's, it's, I, I saw his response to the – he posted on his Instagram page, and uh, um, I, I saw that his response we made, and he made, he made a point saying that it doesn't feel like this is between me or the trans community. Um, it feels like this is between me and a corporate organization. Um, which was an interesting input that he that he put on this, and it almost feels like that you know this is yet another situation where we are possibly diving into 
like the cancel culture of the situation and he hasn't been you know shy of this before it happened before many times with dave Chappelle, but also people who are voicing their opinions um and maybe can be interpreted in a different way or a a way that he didn't really mean um and because he was doing it in a comedy special so it could have been seen as like i think their their hate is valid if you feel strongly something about what he said but in some cases that especially with cancel culture that energy could be focused in the wrong direction for maybe not listening to everything that he had to say about that particular topic i didn't see his special so i can't comment on that Um, but just based on his response that's kind of what i gathered from it i think if you care anything about this story or if you like dave Chappelle, like i would highly recommend watching this special but if you're going to watch it you have to watch it in its entirety the full hour Mm -hmm. you have to watch the whole special because the bit at the end really ties it all together like really really just seals it with the bow did 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 you uh i mean aside from all the talk around did was it was it a was a funny special like one of his better ones Chappelle. it's hilarious yeah it's (laughs) i think it's no to be honest it's one of his best ones and it's funny you brought up cancel culture once without really giving without giving the bit away all he 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 uh he makes a relation to like people being canceled and then he goes like well let's look at the rapper the baby you know you guys know who that 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 singer mm-hmm. um he was arrested he shot and killed somebody in Walmart but yet this man still has a super successful career yeah you know that yeah <laughs> I, didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that either that that's interesting yeah. um but yeah, so hopefully, you know, I mean, well, I I guess the he said he's willing to to talk with the people who have issues with him, and I think that's yeah. a very brave. Like, obviously, he's not afraid to do that, so that's I would say a brave thing to do. But I think that's the right thing to do. It's like, hey, I'm here. You have concerns. Let's talk it out. Yeah, and then it, you know, but Dave Chappelle's never been one to like bow down for to anybody. Look what he mm-hmm. did to Comedy Central with. Um, the how he walked away from Chappelle show when it was at its pinnacle like he was mm-hmm. probably making the most money he's ever made in his entire life right and and he was so like to me that show shows like cancel culture like that doesn't really mean anything to him like his like You're he knows right. that his audience is going to follow him no matter what mm-hmm. i've seen a lot of people uh make the argument though that cancel culture isn't really real um itself like just like twitter isn't a real place uh you know or destination on earth and um, you know, all of these problems aren't really like as big as uh, some uh, say they seem, you know, uh, cancel culture is like a thing in terms of celebrities, especially they never really get canceled because they still go home and make millions in their sleep. And that's <laughs> like that, that I do. I do. I, I do think that that's true, but I think it's like anything moving forward. So it's like anything you got on now, like if you don't have anything set aside, then you're screwed. But I, I have seen it, not personally, but um, we watched that documentary, Matt, uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. No, that's right. They, yeah. They've ruined they, – they had this Mexican singer who they thought that he committed this horrific crime and all these internet sleuths literally destroyed his life. Mm-hmm. Like that- got him fired. Like got him – like he, he doesn't even feel like he wants to make music anymore. Like it was really crazy. And then they what? found out he didn't do it, but there was no apology. Like after it was done, they, his life was still destroyed. I end. think that was Cecil Hotel, not Don't Fuck With Cats. Yeah. Oh, I think you're, I right. You're, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And, uh, you're right. You're right. You know, he was he was like this artist who had like all this like goth and death music and stuff right. Like yes. That. Yes. <laughs> you know, and yeah. what happened there? What really happened there though is a fine example, the epitome of when mob justice goes wrong. Right. Um, when 100%, people on the yeah. internet think that they can do the work of detectives in the FBI 
and they get it all wrong. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just like, I can understand how that can be translated into, you know, cancel culture and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, I think the real problem in that situation was people, lay persons, thinking that they could do the work of, you know, the, the uh, FBI. So. Yeah, it's, and it's specific with those, that's what, yeah, with them. But the thing is, is like they, they contacted his job. They got him fired. Like yeah. they can't. They literally canceled him. Like he just he did not exist <laughs> anymore. Like yeah, they yeah. wiped his internet existence away. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that terrible. is. But like with oh sorry. No 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 no. I was about to say the same thing, but yeah. Uh, no, I was, I was just saying like, and that's terrible. But like with these like major celebrities though, that like everybody has heard of. You know, everybody's heard of Dave Chappelle by now. Everybody's heard of Kevin Hart. Everybody's heard of anybody who has been you know canceled even even the former president donald trump of all the Mm -hmm. crazy outrageous things he has said and done you know it's just like but at the same time you know the people uh you know we the people like we we um get angry at anything that they say and we bring up the art issues with it and you know they might go on an apology tour or post something from the notes app that's insincere (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know you let a couple uh, months go by and everything's all fine again they're still making money they don't get canceled. Yeah. you know who really got actually canceled um ah, why can't i remember her name redhead when donald trump first won the presidency she posted a picture with him with a severed head she oh i, oh, I remember that um, yeah. <laughs> I, she's a comedian oh uh, yeah uh uh griffin something griffin um, Janice, Jordan. No, oh, what? I can't. I, I feel terrible for not remembering her name, but she I know, legit it, uh, like couldn't get a job. Couldn't. I think like, it starts with a K. Katie, 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 Kathy Griffin. Kathy, Kathy Griffin. I knew it. Okay. I knew there was a K there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like she went through the worst of it. Like didn't hear she from did. her for a while until things started to die down with with Trump. Um, and you know, there's. I'm not saying that there's no validity to the statement of like or saying something is is cancel cancel culture because like I've. I've seen how groups of fans from certain fandoms can gather around a cause, uh, no matter how dark that cause may be, and try to literally ruin somebody's life. If that's what people are defining as cancel culture, hey, <laughs> you know, I, I've seen it, you know, uh, in for acolytes of, you know, Nicki Minaj or Beyonce <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I, I like both of those artists, but their fandoms can be pretty toxic. Yeah, I mean, and even in the movie world, it's like you know, talk, you know, the Star Wars, and when people really didn't like the Last Jedi, like they, they, they they ostracized Kelly Marie Tran, who was just an actress in that movie, and and she's so sweet, and they, 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 you know, attacked her on social media. She had to cut out all her ties to it, and it was like for something that I love to do, like the fans really ruined it for me. Yeah, and like she didn't even want to, and she had like such a small role in Rise of Skywalker. I'm sure it wasn't going to be, um, but just like you just sucked out all the fun from all of that. There was no reason for that. Like she did nothing wrong. She read a script and yeah. she did her and job. She did a good job. And she did yeah. a great job. It's like no matter how you felt about the movie, like you don't attack people for that. That's not the right thing to do. There. It's just right. yeah. People get so tied. People get so tied to their properties. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like if you like, you know, people either love or hate the new Star Wars, but that, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole that's, other that's, debate. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole situation. Um, but and but I mean, tying it back to Dave, uh, Dave uh, Chappelle. Chappelle. Yes, yeah, so like, I think Patel. the, I think the, I think the only thing, the only thing 
forthcoming now with him is that like he's got this documentary that he's trying to put out. That's right. And no, and none of the nobody festivals, wants to touch nobody, it. nobody, yeah, wants, no to wants to, touch to do it. it. Yeah, from a business perspective. <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, obviously he, but I, it feels like he almost like expected it. Like, yeah. like yeah. I like like I knew this was like, like I knew we were gonna eventually get to this point. But but like Brandon, like you said, I mean, he's definitely making a lot of money at the end of the day. So what is 100%. cancel culture at, at this point? But I think for me, the big takeaway is is like because we hear a lot about stuff and like especially when you're on the on the bad end of cancel culture, the fact that he's saying, "Hey, I hear your concerns, the people who work for Netflix who are walking out. I'm willing to talk to you. So let's let's have a conversation." And I and I feel like we don't hear that enough today. Of like, hey, let's chat about it. Because by chatting about it, we can get to a resolution to maybe what I said. I, I want to understand why what I said hurt you. Um, and, yeah, and that's basically what he's – that's the, that's the impression that I got. That's what he's saying. Yeah, because he didn't have to do that. He's gonna he's gonna walk right. in there and it's gonna be like the lion's den. Like they're gonna come. They're gonna he's gonna walk in there by himself and but they're gonna come after him. <laughs> but yeah, he, but he knew that, it was yeah, coming. But he, he but, but he's a smart guy, so obviously he knows what he's walking into. Like, right. <laughs> you know, and it's just like the thing is, uh, these communities like we can only know how long they've been tired of the same old same, the jokes yeah. and all those things. And of course, that that have real life consequences out in the real world. You know, while we say. Uh, and I say, you know, Twitter is not a real place. If a comedian who's widely popular, has a wide fan base who loves him, gets on stage and says something that could be hurtful, you've got people who, you know, recite these words from these comedians and do it out of hate. While the comedian might not have been trying to do that, the right. other people who wanted to fuel their excuses for their hatred towards these communities certainly will. And mm. um, that's where that's where it sucks because it's just like, you know, the comedian was just trying to go up there and make art, do their job make people laugh uh, at things that are typically taboo, like you guys said before. Um, but, you know, it's just like he, he knew that these things were going to happen, um, and, and he still he still did it. Uh, so I think when a community has already been tired and, uh, you know, they just kind of start turning that knob all the way down to the zero tolerance policy. Like me, uh, being black, like I have a zero tolerance poli- policy for racism, even yeah. though I might find some racist jokes against me kind of funny. It's like, it's it's like, like, you know, (laughs) so, you know, but it's just like, uh, at the same time, you know, the community as a whole, like I'm, I'm all there with people who are like, Hey, we're not taking no stuff from like anybody who's racist, who says the N word or blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and so when I look over to, uh, communities or adjacent communities or anything like that, I, I feel them when it comes to being like, you know what? Like f this person <laughs> for ever saying this kind of stuff, and while I get that that's uh, not necessarily a good solution for you know like world peace and all mm-hmm. that, I I do understand that you know a community an entire community just deciding that they're done with a particular person or organization. Yeah, I think that that was well said. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so moving on from that, uh, kind of on topic to what we're discussing later in this episode. Um, and honestly, I don't know why this wasn't a thing in the first place, but here we are. Uh, Warner I Brothers. To make sure. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Uh, Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures has officially given the green light to Dune Part Two for a October 2023 
theatrical release with director, mm-hmm. producer, and co-screenwriter Dennis Villeneuve. Uh, he is returning for all, uh, doing all those roles. Uh, this news comes after Dune became the highest-grossing box office opening weekend film of 2021 for Warner Brothers. It's a very sp- specific category that it did, but it did it. Um, the uh, uh, that movie made. Uh, Sorry, I lost my train. Here it is. Yeah, uh, for Warner Brothers, making forty point one million dollars, beating out Godzilla versus Kong, which made about thirty two million dollars opening weekend. So just imagine that Warner Brothers has all these big property movies, and their highest <laughs> opening weekend movie was forty million dollars. That's that's for a dual release. For a dual yeah. release, yes, absolutely. Which for a dual release, my point that accessibility works. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, if the property's good enough. <laughs> yeah, and and for that, like you said, that for being the most, and uh, and on top of that, it was the most streamed filmed within the first weekend on HBO Max, be, uh, being streamed for about two million accounts, uh, beating out Zack Snyder's Justice League numbers. That that's they, crazy. I know, right? Like that, that's huge hype about it. So obviously, the sci-fi nerds came out for this. <laughs> It's like, hey, we might not be ready for the theaters because we already have HBO Max, but we're supporting on the TV front, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, now, what's interesting about all this is that Dune was always set up to be a multi-part movie. Hell, even the opening credits of this movie said Dune Part 1. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> <Kind of a laughs> exactly. Uh, but there were concerns that the high that a high concept sci-fi movie like Dune might not gain uh, the kind of audience that would justify multiple movies. That being said, it did terrible when David Fincher's Dune came out. Like it did not fare well at the box office. And it, I mean, I understand their concerns, but at the same time, when you hire Dennis Villeneuve to make a Dune film, and he's already said that he's going to make a part two, this is just me saying that you should have just made, you should have just went all in on this, and like had him make the movie altogether, because I feel like that would have saved you at the on the back end of all this. Mm, yeah, uh, because like even like with uh, Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings series, he did all three movies. I actually think The Hobbit he did, maybe not Lord of the Rings, but maybe both. Um, he did all three movies back to back to back. It was like a six month production, but he got it all done, and then now everything was made, and they probably saved a lot of money because you got the actors and and the sets all ready to go right then and there. Yeah, but I think a lot of that has to do with well, for, without really getting into the movie, the movie seemed like it was very expensive to make. Oh yeah, like, just it was, uh, just by watching it. So I mean, maybe like logistically they had to split it up, and it was shot during the middle of COVID. So you kind of had yeah. that COVID aspect to it too. They um uh the movie had a hundred and sixty five million dollar budget, which is not cheap. A lot of big blockbusters go for two hundred mil. So that was like like a little bit under that, but one sixty five is nothing to stuff at. That's that's a big budget movie. And you had, you saw those A list actor, actors in there. Did yeah. you see the visuals, everybody? Yes. <laughs> it's oh my god, VFX. <clears throat> Dneg did an, an amazing amazing job. <laughs> oh yeah, those visual effects. My god. And and so like again, we're gonna dive into that a little bit later in the show. But like <laughs> yeah, it makes sense of why this movie had an expensive budget. So like Ernesto, to your point, I understand. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, why they were kind of cautious. I'm like, we don't know if we want to lash out more money. Obviously, I don't think they're going to come in the green with this, with no movie coming out this year is going to come out in the green. Uh, but I think they know that come 2023, <laughs> they're going to have a big payday when it comes to the two-part conclusion to the story. Um, but yeah, so if anyone who was worried that part two wasn't going to come out, Legendary Warner Brothers, like, don't worry, we got you. And uh, we got to wait two years for it. Those that kind of suck. So then, but are they going to make it into 
one is it going to be two parts or is it cause yeah it multiple movies so is it going to be a three part or a two part i was i read it was always supposed to be a two-part movie so i think by multiple they meant more than one oh, okay, um, okay but also i think he's also working on a, an hbo max limited series as well that was in the in the works so i don't know if that's still in the conversation or not but i don't know what the property was going to been about but yeah that seems i like could see that, that yeah, I can see absolutely. that, but we'll get into we'll get into that when we talk about the movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, moving on to a little bit of interesting news and kind of sad if you think about it. Uh, the Joan Rivers limited series, The Comeback Girl, starring uh, Catherine Hahn, is surprisingly not moving forward anymore because of issues around the life rights of Joan Rivers. Uh, Joan Rivers' life rights, which are held by her daughter Melissa Rivers, had not been secured by producers. You would think that that would be the number one thing you do when you start making a movie about someone's life is to secure yeah. the life rights. Yeah. Uh, the project could have been preceded as an unauthorized venture, but the comeback girl would, wouldn't have been able to use any of River's jokes or catchphrases and, of course, risk running into um, uh, issues with Melissa Rivers and the estates of Joan Rivers. So, like, yeah, they could have said something, did something wrong, and they could have been sued, and he didn't want that either. Uh, we talked about this project last month, that it was happening. Um, it would have seen Catherine Hahn play Joan Rivers, as well as executive produce with Greg Berlanti, which if you've seen any CW show, you know who he is, um, also serving as, as an executive producer, and he was going to be a director for this limited series that would have premiered on Showtime. To me, this sounds like just a crazy story. That like, that it's like literally a month ago we were on board and then instantly like just gone. But here's the thing: when they started this project, they didn't say, "Hey, we should ask her daughter about. We should talk to her daughter <laughs> when we're writing the fucking script." Like I don't right. know, we're talking, we're writing a movie about, we're writing a show about your mom. Maybe you should be involved. Right. Like, I feel like that should have been like a day one conversation before you continued any further. Like, what do you – did you just try to make it and then hope that she would like it? And like, <laughs> like, and then maybe they're not saying like what Melissa Rivers' response is to this. Like maybe mm. it was in production and they, she looked at it and probably said no. <laughs> because why would they go as far as to announce Catherine Hahn as the main lead? Mm-hmm. Why go that far to make that, that huge announcement? If you didn't think that it was going to move forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it also makes me wonder, like, how many projects start without actually getting the proper approval? I'm sure it happens a lot more than we think, that that this just happens to be one of those projects that was a falter to that. Maybe they started working on production and be like, hey, we should probably secure this. And then, like, they go over, like, oh, no, we're good. And, like, okay, we can continue. And we never hear about this. Um, (laughs) But in this particular case, Melissa Rivers was like, "Um, you're doing what? With who? Um, No. Talking about whose mom? Not my mom. (laughs) Not my my mother. Um, but but it also sounds like that like this obviously was this was a conversation that was had and she was not happy with the project because you could have easily had this conversation with Melissa Rivers and was like hey can we do this and be like oh yeah no I like this idea let's move forward with it but um, yeah it just seems very odd that this happened or maybe they they let her she let them start like all right let me see what you got right and saw the first draft and was like yikes (laughs) yeah. Like maybe the script just wasn't at the wasn't there. I mean I don't know. There, it could be like a whole multitude of things because they didn't Absolutely. say it didn't say that it was gonna be paused or like to be continued later. It said it's not moving forward. So like yeah, it, it is dead canceled. in the water. <laughs> 
Which I'm with. I mean, hell, like you said before, we have actors, we have producers, we have directors. Like it was moving along. I'm sure there was a script already in play. And the fact that you said like it's not on pause while we work this situation out, it was a flat out no, not moving forward. Let's move on with another project. Like that to me is like very odd and very abrupt. I'm, and I know there was some conversation about like Catherine Hunt's a great actress, but she's not like Joan Rivers is Jewish, I think. I believe, if I if I remember, if I know correctly, uh, like I, I remember, there was some there was some kind of um, thing about her like not being not playing, not playing like you know not having the representation. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get that. Um, I didn't he- I didn't hear that part of the news. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, I mean, I can understand people not being she happy was with Jewish. the she casting. was Jewish. She was Jewish. Catherine Hahn was or jo- Joan Rivers. Um, so Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Okay, Joan Rivers okay. Was. Um, so yeah, that, that could have been a factor into it. I'm not sure, but it just seems odd that they canceled it. So unfortunately, if anyone was looking forward to this project, it's not happening anymore. I was actually, you know, we were talking about this last month, Ernesto. We're like, Hey, this is a good time to get a Showtime subscription. Cause this actually looks interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people were, this is, but you, what they should see is that this is still, a, this is a property that people want to see. Like people want to learn right. about Joan Rivers life. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So in the meantime, we're not going to be Showtime subscribers. I think that's the end of the result here. Oh well. Um, <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on to quite a bit, a few casting news to talk about this week, and a lot of bit of it came out. Um, Hayden Christensen is returning to a galaxy far, far away um, to continue as. Oh, hold on, I, I butchered this whole thing. I'm going to restart that. Um, Hayden Christensen's return, yeah, <laughs> Hayden Christensen's return to a galaxy far, far away continues as he is set to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader. Spoilers um, in the upcoming Disney Plus Ahsoka series, starring Rosia, uh, I'm sorry, Rosario Dawson as uh, Ahsoka Tano. Um, many, many months ago, when the Disney Investor Day was happening, I guess it was a year ago. We we had talked about Hayden Christensen returning to the role as Anakin Skywalker in Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, in the Obi-Wan series. And I thought that was going to be really cool. But I guess Hayden Christensen loves what he's doing and, and Disney loves what he's doing and Lucasfilm loves what he's doing. That you can branch out that character into another show and I'm here for it. I'm sorry, mm. I'm just like thinking about. Because it sounded like you were gonna say Rosie O'Donnell as a soap. Yeah, no, nope. I, 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 I think I might have said it too. I, you're absolutely right. I caught myself. Oh, I want to see that Catholic. <laughs> I foresee a young Vader series coming in the works. That would be amazing, right? It with him, with him leading the charge. I mean, wh- how awesome would that be? If they follow by the way that the Marvel comics outlined it, for the little bits and pieces that I've seen, that would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they have a series that kind of tells his story, and the artwork is beautiful. It seems like the story is beautiful. I, I would just love that. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. It does feel like a matter of time we're gonna hear like the young adventures of Darth Vader, like the early stages of being Darth Vader before he became ruthless. Is like, how did he feel about working with the Empire so quickly? Like, was he still balancing with the Force back and forth earlier on before he went full dark side? Um, and and maybe Obi Wan and Ahsoka would dive into that. If anyone's watching the Clone Wars uh, on on Disney Plus, I mean, Anakin was a pivotal character to Ahsoka. That was that was uh, Ahsoka was the Padawan to the master of Anakin's Anakin Skywalker. So it, it, it makes sense that her care, that his character is involved with this show. I just never expected that was going to happen. 
So who knows in what capacity we're going to see this in? Who kn- we might be seeing like a live action version of them interacting, like like a flashback that we've seen from the animated series, and that would be awesome. That like, would be awesome. There's like a world of possibilities out there just by making that small announcement um, that he's going to be involved with the series. I mean, and it's Dave Filoni and John Favreau. So. I know can't really go wrong <laughs> no you, you can't like they they gave us like pure joy with the mandalorian and then disney was like you can do whatever the fuck you want I was like all right cool if we're gonna do a boba fett series we're gonna do a soka series or i don't <laughs> think they're involved with obi-wan but uh, if they're if they are wouldn't be surprised and they should be if they're not put them on the project exactly um, yeah uh, on some other casting news, Brendan Fraser, the I think it's what's the phrase? It's the the Brendan Sassans, the Fraser Sans. Uh, <laughs> I forgot what the, the Brendan Fraser Sans, whatever it's called. Apparently, he's having a resurgence, um, and he's being that. cast in everything. Doom Patrol. Uh, yes, and uh, he was in Doom Patrol. He was in um, uh, uh, Steven Soderbergh's film No Sudden Move, I believe. Um, that was on HBO Max for a limited time. It, it could be, it could, it could be there right now. Um, but yeah, he had a brief role in that. And he was pretty good in there too. And um, yeah, and now he's like, I think he's going to be the new Martin Corsese project, and he's been in everything. And now we find out that he is going to be officially joining the cast of Batgirl, the film that's coming to HBO Max, and he's rumored to play the supervillain uh, Firefly. Mm. I'm not familiar with this villain, but <sighs> Firefly is an <laughs> awesome villain. Hello, yeah, he's wait, all wait, over is... Arkham Knight. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. He is. Flying he is. Yeah, yeah. Fire, all the fire station criminally missions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he had a, a decent role. Uh, the, that that was a side mission, right? That he yeah. had, or was he part mm-hmm. of the main story? Mm-hmm. Mm, that was a side mission. No, was it was a side mission. mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the fact that he's, um, you know, he's sticking with the DC family. Obviously, they're not afraid to recast him in something else that he's already a part of. So, um, so yeah, good to see that he's getting more work. He's I got love a lot him going on. He's got oh, a lot yeah. going on right now. So just looking at his IMDb, so he's still working on Doom Patrol. Then he's got Cl- Killers of the Flower Moon, The Whale, Behind the Curtain of Night, Brothers, and then Batgirls in pre-production. Wow. Yeah, so he's a busy guy all of a sudden. Um, but good for him. I feel like he re- he took a break from acting, and now the Hollywood is uh, uh, has open arms for him to come back and do more projects. And like, if you haven't seen The Mummy or The Mummy Returns, that that is peak Brendan Fraser for me. Like, I loved him in those movies. Hundred percent. Have you oh, have yeah. you watched Doom Patrol? I have. I've only I, watched the first season. Same. Yeah. I'm only in the first season, and I and I liked it. For some reason, I haven't gone back to it. Same. And they're getting, they they're already to. renewed for their fourth, I believe, yep. the fourth season? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I got some catching uh, up to do. Same. Yeah, have you seen <laughs> any of it, Brandon? Doom Patrol? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got up to the point where they were, uh, they were trapped in some kind of, like, sorry if this is like a spoiler. I don't know if it's one or two, but they were in some kind of snow globe, and there were these, like, really, really creepy clown king and queens. Okay. Like that. Maybe that's okay. somewhere in season, season two or three. That might be in season two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird show, y'all. If you haven't seen it, it it's out there, but it's good though. It, it's it's weird, but it's good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, it says he's rumored to play uh, Firefly. So speaking of rumors, apparently Bill Murray is joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, he's going to be in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, and he has been cast in a secret role. I can't imagine him playing anyone serious. And honestly, if the secret role is Bill Murray, then I believe that too. Like, this feels like the movie that he would 
play himself. But like, is it going to be a big role or is it going to be some like bullshit cameo? <laughs> I think I, it feels like a bullshit <laughs> cameo. Yeah, yeah, like like he goes to the quantum mania and he goes to this random universe and he's there as like a ghostbuster or something and like he's just yeah. all right, bye. And then like no, like I want him to have an actual. Hopefully, he has an actual role. Like he's actually a pivotal part of this film. Yeah, and he's and, just and a good side character. I mean, I, I would love that too. Um, I just don't. I, I honestly don't see it. How I feel like it's like a, his role is going to be like similar to like Sylvester Stallone in Guardians of the Galaxy two, where he was in there for a brief amount of time and then he was forming his own Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't really know what he was doing. Or at the Jeff end of that movie. Goldblum. <laughs> or Jeff Gold. You see, that would be a good. That would be a. Uh, I I would love him in the capacity of Jeff Goldblum. He was a very out there, wacky character in space. So imagine if they they hire him to be like a guide in the quantum realm. I think that would be pretty fun yeah but maybe there, that's what i'm saying maybe there's a character already that's within the ant-man and wasp ant-man and wasp mini universe mm-hmm. in their world that fits his character that fits that the bill for bill murray bill murray yeah and, at least and i hope could, they, i hope so you know <laughs> yeah yeah um i yeah i don't i feel like it's, it's bill murray's a talented comedian so the fact that you waste his talents on a marvel movie for a cameo it like i mean unless it's a, it's a bomb-ass cameo or you know have a decent role for him but i'm interested obviously we're gonna see all these marvel movies anyway um but also i feel like this would have been a nice surprise to not announce that if this if yes. this was i mean they a didn't lot of the times I, it feels like that though like, yeah it would have been nice. a lot of the times like especially if it's there just no surprises anymore <laughs> if no. it's not somebody who's pivotal to the movie like where they don't need to be on the poster like everything else can be a surprise yeah like oh shit it's bill murray is in this movie right. yeah it's like it's, they did with free guy like free guy had a million cameos but you didn't learn about them until after you saw that. the movie it was, yeah, good. Free, it was good free guy was good yeah you should definitely check that out i think it's on video on demand now so yeah. you can watch it at home um, yeah, and then the last bit of casting news, and I just find this hilarious. Um, Ryan Gosling is in final negotiations to play Ken. Yes, the Ken you're thinking <laughs> oh, of, the, icon- <laughs> the iconic character in the upcoming live-action Warner Brothers Barbie film centered on the classic doll um, doll line. Uh, Gosling initially, initially passed on the part playing the role, but pre-production dragged out and the studio remained persistent with him being their only choice. An opening in the schedule appeared, allowing him to sign on. So I guess it was always meant to be. As previously announced, Margot Robbie will play Barbie as well as produce the film. And Greta Gerwig, who is the director of Lady Bird and Little Women, uh, will be writing and directing the film. And I think that's the only reason why I would watch that movie is because Greta Gerwig is involved and she doesn't make just your average movie so obviously she's taking the barbie line and has something to say about it specifically and probably around you know a female centric story and it's it's live action right yeah this is live action yeah so uh margot robbie and uh ryan gosling have those beautiful faces that would make sense for me (laughs) to be barbie and ken absolutely makes sense we'll see we'll see we'll see what she can do with it i'm i i I don't know. I have hopes. I kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I kind of, I'm kind of curious. I think, I guess, I'm more curious than anything to see what she, yeah, I, see what she's gonna do with the property. I think I'm, I'm more on that boat. Like, if this was just like, if we sound that the director was like someone who's made like just your average comedy, I don't, I don't think no. I would be taking the story seriously. But Greta Gorick has made <laughs> absolutely not. And like what she did with, uh, with Lady Bird and what she did with Little Women, and those both were Oscar-nominated films. Can you imagine if in 2020, 2024 Oscars round, we see uh, nominated for Best Picture the Barbie movie, like, <laughs> <laughs> and the winner. 
The best picture is Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> With Margot what? Robbie and Ryan Gosling both winning <laughs> Best Actor and, and Actress. And they have both won Oscar uh, – I mean, I'm not sure if Margot Robbie well, – they both have been nominated for for Oscars, I'm pretty sure. So I'm not sure. incident when it was actually Moonlight that won. That was so right, yeah. <laughs> Got all the way on stage. I think I'm not sure if both Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling has been nominated for Oscars, but if they have, you have got a very Oscar winning team around this to be doing this project. So again, like Ernesto said, more intrigue than anything else. Um, and there you go. That's all the news we have for you guys this week. It's a lot of news, a lot of uh, heartbreaking news, a lot of serious news, but news nonetheless. And we wanted to talk about every single one of them uh, because, you know, it's important to have these discussions, um, especially when it's impacting the entertainment industry. Um, but but, yeah, that's the news we have for you guys this week. As always, you can go to our social media channels at box office underscore bingers uh, for all of the latest news. We'll post about it there and then we'll discuss it on the podcast. You can also go to our Facebook page at box office bingers. So now we're going to move over to a fun segment we like to call What You're Watching. So, uh, Brandon, we'll start with you. What have you been watching? Oh, boy. Uh, so many things. <laughs> um, uh, I, I could run down a list if you guys want me to. Uh, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever, is, whatever talks worthy, whatever you want to mention, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, <clears throat> most recent thing I saw, saw it in IMAX. Dune, loved it. Uh, <laughs> the Night House, uh, I saw that recently. I thought that that was really creative, um, really cool horror movie. Uh, really original. Um, Candyman, Don't Breathe 2, Old, Reminiscence, Creep 1 and 2 on Netflix, A1. <laughs> um, host and the movie Hosts, plural, uh, two separate movies about two entirely different things, but great horror movies. Halloween Kills, uh, Shang-Chi. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I love Slashers to death, and I love the Halloween series to death. How did you feel man, about the oh, end, man? Is there okay? Is there anything about that movie that you enjoy? Because we just reviewed it last yeah. week. That's the only reason why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I enjoyed the ridiculous killings and the slashings and everything. I thought it was like hilarious and fun. Um, but man, like, yeah, I, I'll just leave it at that. But that. That's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed that it was like a bona fide slasher. Jason like was putting up Kobe numbers and it was hilarious. <laughs> so, I mean Michael, <laughs> Michael, Michael, Michael Myers, Michael, Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah, what you meant though. Kobe <laughs> but man. <laughs> I, I think we're on this. I think we're on the same boat on that particular one. But you mentioned a lot that we had also reviewed on this podcast. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll let's reverse back a little bit. Okay. Uh, the first thing being uh, Candyman. What were your thoughts on that? It didn't do it for me, but I did. Uh, I did appreciate like the new age kind of thing that they kind of brought it into. It just for me, it wasn't saying as much as the original films. And granted, like I've seen the original films like a long, long time ago. But I remember being like haunted by those Candyman <laughs> films. While this one is just kind of like, oh, Candyman's back and he's cool and he's supposed to be scary, but not really. And he's killing <laughs> folks, but like making sure not to to have like unconscious bias about it. But it was, like I, I didn't really know what it was trying to say or be. Um, mm-hmm. While you know I was able to appreciate the VFX work, the performances, and um, the fact that the story gets to continue, I, I thought that that was really cool. Um, but you know, I felt like uh, they underused um, uh, Coleman Domingo, a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Um, they underused Yaya Abdul Mateen, uh, the second, I think. Um, yeah, the yeah. second, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just like 
you when you have these kinds of actors who just have these robust performances in other works, I kind of thought that they were going to take it up a little bit more. I know that there was a lot of noise around people mistakenly calling this Jordan Peele's project, so it made everybody super excited because they thought it was another Jordan Peele work. Uh, and Nia right. DaCosta is a really talented filmmaker. I've seen her other things. Um, so, you know, I, I was really excited for Candyman, but I think I maybe just turned my hopes up too much. I'm always trying to advocate for, um, you know, just respecting the filmmaker's vision, you know, because it's their project. To make a movie is a hard thing to do. Uh, so I'll, it'll always have my respect there. But, like, yeah, it just it didn't really do anything for me in terms of, like, story or horror or uh, standout performances. Okay, what about uh, Reminiscence? Reminiscence, again, you know, uh, the writers are people I'm a fan of. You know, uh, Jonathan Nolan, he, he made Westworld. You know, yeah. and I <laughs> love Westworld. And um, it felt like this is what Jonathan Nolan kind of wanted in uh, Inception to be, but it wasn't. Um, you know, and I don't know if this is like based on some other book or something like that that I haven't read, but uh, I watched it through and through. I love Hugh Jackman as an actor. I love, um, I am forgetting all of the names today. I Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca yeah, Ferguson, you know, she was just in Dune, did an amazing job. Um, but Reminiscence felt like it was a little too long for the story that it was telling. It Like, mm. you know, it felt like it was, it, it, it felt like it thought that it was like this deep, but really it was like kind of <laughs> here. <laughs> and I'm not trying to uh, crash the film or trash the film or nothing like that. I, just I know mean. exactly what you mean. I, I, I we, You we and Matt talked, felt the same way. Yeah, we, <laughs> we talked a long time about that. We, <laughs> we talked in length about Reminiscence, more than we probably should have. And, I really, uh, I really, really enjoyed you it. Really I, was, enjoyed I don't it, know. Yeah. I was here for it. I was here okay. for it. Okay, <laughs> Reminiscence or The Fountain. I don't think I've ever seen like The Fountain. I feel like they can have... Oh, I, watch The I Fountain seen... and then let me know. <laughs> okay. okay. The Fountain. Write that one down. Yeah, I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that one down. With like a similar cast, Hugh Jackman is actually in the Fountain, you know. (laughs) And having seen them both now, it's just like (sighs) you saying that was a better version of what they were trying to do with Reminiscence. Yeah, and I I want to be clear, like you know, they're 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 two separate movies, but like they have a similar uh, premise. And when you see the Fountain, it'll be like, man, everything from the score to the performances to the cinematography to to all of that, it's just like, okay, I've seen this movie before with the same actor, but it doesn't do the same things for me. But, mm-hmm. you know. It's David it? Arnofsky, who, uh, Darren Arnofsky, who Darren made Arnofsky, it. yeah. yeah. His films are and always it, weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's available on Tubi. So, it is, a, the oh. fountain is available somewhere where we can watch it. <laughs> the Tubi, yes, the free streaming app. Yes. Um, <laughs> The uh, yeah, yeah, I I think I'm on the same boat as you, uh, Brandon. Like I liked it. There was nothing necessarily wrong with it, but like like you said, like the movie was maybe not as deep as I wanted it to be, and therefore missed the mark ever so slightly. But Ernesto really I really enjoyed. It. It. He loved the movie. <laughs> I, really, so I, really, I, really, I really enjoyed it. Like <laughs> like I actually enjoyed it. I actually watched it twice, and I actually enjoyed did, it yeah. the second time more than the first time. But I sold I you like on you a little too. bit, Matt. Yeah, you did. You did. Like I'm not. Yes, I I did. Like, Based once we started on, like, talking about it. <laughs> once we started talking about it, we started having a good like rapport, and we're like, okay, you know what? I see your point. Then maybe I might have, uh, you know, not thought about it as much as 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 he has obviously Ernesto did. Um, what about Breathe Two? Because I have not seen it, or Ernesto, I'm not sure if you've seen Breathe Two. I'm sorry. Don't Breathe Two. Don't Breathe Two. I loved loved the first one. 
I thought that was like so like literally tension in that movie suspense. I was on the edge of my seat like the whole time. Yeah. So you're going to tell me that the sequel does just that, right? That's where you're going to tell me. Yes, but also like just to keep yourself safe, lower your expectations just a little <laughs> bit of the sequel because it's like you know it does everything that the first one did well except for kind of stay grounded. And I mm. I might be overusing the word grounded here because the first one is pretty insane, um, but the second one is just like he's pretty much like a super antihero. Like you know he's the Punisher. Uh, you know, in all the ways that we're used to seeing the Punisher. And it's it's great because, you know, they throw in these extra characters who have meaningful storylines that kind of intertwine with his and whatnot. Um, and this time, he's basically like Liam Neeson locked in one house and nobody is taking anything from him because he <laughs> is just going to feed everybody their own kneecaps. Not literally, that doesn't happen in the movie. But, you know, I I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, The the action is just, like, high-octane as you see stuff, but it doesn't Mm. do the same thing um, for you as Don't Breathe 1 does. And I was surprisingly okay with that, you know. Um, I hope that they make, like, all the Don't Breathe's, like, and that they go all the way up to, like, a ridiculous (laughs) number, like, 9 and 10, like the Fast Franchise. It's be about family. It'd be about family. (laughs) Number two, don't breathe. (laughs) Don't hold your breath on family. Um, yeah, I had my hopes on it. I did not like jump to see it right away, but I remember like for me, don't breathe. The first one was such a surprise of how much I enjoyed that movie. I wasn't expecting it. And the fact like I recently, um, my, my stepdad, when I went to go visit one of these days, like, I think he saw the, 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 the trailer for the sequel. He's like, I've always wanted to watch the first one. I was like, well, I do own it. So we were watching it. (laughs) Uh, like like about a month or two ago, and his reactions to it were just hilarious. Like he was like he was like that guy in the theater who's yelling at the TV the entire oh, time, yeah. and he's like, <laughs> "No, I, why'd you go in there? You shouldn't have done that." And so like he was having such a good time with the movie, and I was like, "Yeah, that that was like I wasn't as expressive as he was, but internally I was thinking the same thing um, when I first saw it. So I'm glad like after all these years and for him watching it that he had the same reaction to it um, for the most part." Uh, but yeah, uh, I was actually surprised when they came out with a sequel and not really including anybody from the first one film because I feel like, well, that's odd because you're just bringing back this guy. Um, but if do, do you feel like there was some valid reason for a sequel with that? Um, kind of because like it's one of those movies like with like the movie The Strangers, love it, one of my favorite thriller horror movies oh, like yeah. ever. And then they went and made a sequel that I had no idea about. A couple years ago, they came out with The Strangers Prey at Night. And it's on Netflix. And I was like, what? And my wife was like, what? Because we saw the first movie together. We're like, we got to watch this. Turned out to be amazing. And I was like, wow. So with Don't Breathe uh, 2, it's kind of like the same thing where it's just like, you know, I didn't really ask for this. The first one could have been <laughs> nice by itself, but I'm going right. to watch it. And I was entertained. Okay. So. All right. Uh, and the last movie that, that, at least that you mentioned, that struck my attention was um, uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts on that? You know, I really, I really liked it. Um, I liked it more than I thought. I don't know what what to think because um, before I went to go see it, I didn't know a whole lot about Shang Chi as a character in Marvel comics. Like I've read a bunch of Marvel comics, but just not his. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and. I went uh, into the movie theater, had no expectations really of it other than a really good action movie. And 
it delivered on that. You know, uh, in terms of like the action and the martial arts sequences, how they blended, uh, you know, VFX and reality and what's shot on camera, I thought that was really cool. Um, I think uh, Simu Simu Liu, uh, who is yep. the main character, he really, mm-hmm. you know, nailed it as being a new entry into to the MCU. Uh, that that last action sequence was like out of this world. Tough. I wasn't expecting <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and, and kind of last, I know we mentioned it earlier in this, uh, in the show here, but, um, your thoughts, a little bit more of your thoughts on Midnight Mass. Um, Ernesto oh, and I yeah. kind of talked about it last week, um, of how much we really enjoyed it. And we were talking a lot two weeks ago about Mike Flanagan and his future project and what he's done for the horror genre. What were your thoughts on Midnight Mass? And do you kind of maybe agree with us that he is like redefining what we think about what horror should be? 100% agree. Yes. Um, Midnight Mass masterpiece. I feel like college courses and even people in high school talking about like you know character development, character writing, and all that kind of stuff will be talking about Midnight Mass. How do you come? Or at least and, his properties. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and it's just like you take this small island, a group of people, and you tell really like a kind of a simple story, but in a really complex way. Um, and you give everybody like uh, enough mono. Some people have said, and it, it kind of upset me, but they said that it was like overwritten. Uh, and I get the joke where it's like, uh, you know, every character you see is just like, I'm gonna monologue. But I I loved that about Midnight Mass because you really got to know these characters within like the what nine or thirteen episode uh, form. I think it was the shorter one. Not it was not shorter. No, yeah, no seven. Nine. I'm sorry, seven episodes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And, and in that format, it's like you kind of gotta have them do that if you want to care about them. Um, so yeah, I, I thought Midnight Mass was a ma- was a masterpiece because it was truly terrifying. Um, you know, being raised Christian and everything like that, I have my set of fears based on the religious, <laughs> you know, truths I've had to uh, accept, you know, in my life. But then they took that and they introduced characters uh, to kind of uh, present you with a dichotomy there: people who believe God is real and people who don't. Like just straight up, they just don't <laughs> like on the thing. <laughs> And then they uh, put them in the same room across from each other. And the whole little, uh, you know, uh, thing that David Mamet would love to see. Two characters sitting on stools in a room, no fancy props or (laughs) environments or anything like that, and they talk. And every time that happens, it's just like this, like I've been rinsed of everything, you know, that I thought before. And now I have like these new perspectives from these characters and for these characters that I care about. I, I think that Midnight Mass was terrific because of how it made me feel on top of the, its abilities to really jump scare me in super effective ways. Cause I've been studying jump scares oh, yeah. and they, they, Mike Flanagan, he has not failed yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a master. Like some, yeah. and you bring up a really good point. Like some, and I have mentioned it to you, Matt, some of the, some of the scenes that just re- especially in that series, I really like, even to this day still stand out to me is <clears throat> the scene where it's, uh, I have to look up their names, but it's the, the woman and the 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 alcoholic they're in the house and they're t- they're having this whole dialogue about what they feel oh. about death you know what i'm talking yeah. about yes oh, there's yeah. that one <laughs> there's that one the scene with bev and the police officer and the and the sheriff in the mm-hmm. school when they're talking about like just like church and schools and like like living with people with different ideologies like i just thought it was just so intriguing it's like like even besides like all the scary shit like his character development is just on point (laughs) 
Yeah, and then but the character development again, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but that character development led to the horror. We spent so much time with these characters that we understood their their reasoning of we understood their religion and what they believe in. We understood why we were there. I even understood where, where Bev was coming from. And yeah. so like and and I hated her. And I think you're supposed to. <laughs> um and so like even with our main lead he was an atheist but like i get it i understand why you're an atheist bev i hear you i understand why you are fully committed to the church um sheriff i understand uh your beliefs as a muslim and i understand why you don't want your son to be involved with the church i get all of that i understand where the priest is coming from like for me to understand especially for like in, in a religious aspect of it all to me for to comprehend everything and then after learning all this information you're somehow scared at the end of that, that, that is a well-written horror yes. right there. Like you, you don't expect to be like, I'm, I'm like, it's a haunting feeling. And then when I feel like the first five episodes was basically a buildup to what we got in the last two, like where we got, we really got all of that information there. So now you're, you're there just like, oh my God, here's everything put in front of me like that. This is terrifying now be, because yeah. you are, you, you have the backbone of all of that story you were given in the first five episodes. What I really like about Mike Flanagan's work is that, like, when he ends his properties, he leaves it open-ended. Like, at the end of Midnight Mass, like, if you, you it's very clear that he's probably not going to return to it and make, like, a season two. But he leaves mm-hmm. it open that it can happen. Because like, I felt that way after Haunting on Hill House and Blind Manor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and even hell, even how Midnight Mass ended, like I wanted to see more of what's going on. I was like, I, what's the rest of that? And to, again, that ended in a very haunting way. I was yeah. like, oh my god, they went there and they were not afraid to go there. It was really and like, done. and like the way that like, what is it saying with with the end result of that? It's just like, ah, uh, it was. I, I liked it more than I thought I was going to, and I still feel like uh, Hill House. It's the peak of his his like his craft. I don't think he's like between Bly Manor and Midnight Mass. I don't believe um, that is at the same level as Hill House. But I mean, all of those are strong work. Like if 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 Hill House was like at a for me 100 percent, then we're talking like uh, Midnight Mass at like a 98 and Bly Manor like at a 95. Like they're they're still high up there for me. Excuse me, and and it still leaps and bounds better than any other horror thing that is out there. Like it, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it even is like if if you classify his worst stuff, it's still really great compared to everything else that's out there. But but I mean, yeah, the, I love the main the main thing with Haunting on Hill House is I think it was like episode five or six that what that thirteen minute one shot that they had to mm-hmm. build physical sets for because they had to go yeah. back in time in that one shot. I mean the amount of artistry and craftsmanship that went into creating that i mean you can't like nothing else so far has been able to compare now i'm really interested to what he's going to do with this whole edgar Allan piece work or his yes oh, yeah 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 absolutely the fall of the, the house of the usher the fall of the house of the usher, of usher the, yeah usher <laughs> and and you know and, and there's probably another uh and dove in there that i'm mispronouncing <laughs> all right it's the uh, fall of house of usher there yeah. you go. There you go. But before that, he's got the Midnight Club, which is yes, that's, that's his next one. That's yes. next year. Yeah, yeah. So we have to wait two years for that. But yeah, Netflix keep signing that man a check because yes. we want more from Give him. him seriously. All the things. Let him keep making <laughs> movies too. Because yeah, uh, Doctor Sleep, I loved it. Same. You know. Matt didn't um, like it. I liked it. I didn't like um, it as much. No. <laughs> but also, to be fair, I also am not a biggest fan of The Shining. 
Like no. I, 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 I don't like The Shining as much as a lot of people do. I, I understood it after the second time I watched it, uh, but then I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, this, this movie isn't for me. And the fact that it was kind of like taking an aspect from that and doing something different with it, I was like, it's still not hitting the vibe for me. I just didn't. Just didn't <laughs> you get should there. watch. You should watch Hush. I haven't seen Hush. It's on I Netflix. Know you said it was really good. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Like. I, it, it took me forever to realize that Mike Flanagan is married to um, Kate Siegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just found that I out like, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I just found that out. Uh, let's just say he is a lucky man. Yes, very lucky. Very pretty. Uh, this is very pretty. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, uh, anything else you've been watching, Brennan? Oh yeah. Um, I uh, I, I just got into Made. Everybody was talking about it. Amazing. Mm. Um, I rewatched Paranormal Act, uh, uh, Paranormal Activity one and two. Um, uh, there was this film called No One Gets Out Alive. That was a nice little fresh one uh, that had a pretty nice, interesting premise. Mostly one location film. Mm. Uh, you know there. Oh, the Chestnut Man. I think it's like a German detective thriller uh on netflix that got on there a couple weeks ago okay uh logan marshall green uh was in this movie called intrusion which was another new netflix drop relatively new uh, i think it was like a month or two ago um blood red sky was awesome um black summer season two i'm like that black where where's black summer i'm not familiar with that netflix um it's supposedly a prequel to z nation but like just uh like they have had some of the most creative undead zombie running infected cinematography and action sequences i've seen in a long time especially for Mm. like american productions and not like uh south korea or anything like that because like over there they own it like yeah (laughs) all of those kind of things like they understand the (laughs) you know magnitude of a zombie apocalypse but here you know we've got our greats but I feel like Black Summer is doing something really amazing in this little format where it's just like live action PUBG. Everybody's on their own, running from zombies, trying to scrap for resources. The people problems start to surface in the worst, most violent ways. And you those quiet little moments where two characters from two very different uh, points of the, the map meet up with each other and you find out things about them and it's revealed in the most poetic ways. Uh, Black Summer is like just... That is a very binge-worthy show, and I can't believe I don't see more people talking about it. Okay. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard of it before, before you just uh, said it. It's it's incredible. Um, I watched the Fear Street trilogy. Um, Ooh! Uh, <laughs> that was a really fun one. Um, and The Old Ways was uh, this, like, brouhaha uh, kind of thing. I don't know too much about the culture and everything, but it felt authentic. Like, it caught me by surprise. It's got a little bit of like quality from the descent in there, as well as um, I don't know what else to compare it to. It's like the descent and the exorcist kind of. What that saying mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, oh, foreign uh, films, The Wailing and Burning. I watched, uh, and those were like mind blowingly good. Burning. We 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 did yeah. see Burning. Yeah, Burning was good. Yeah. Burning was another good one there. <laughs> Um, so so th- this was also my what you're watching. So since you brought it up, might as well talk about mm-hmm. it now. I actually just finished watching the Fear Street trilogy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what what were your thoughts on that? I feel like first of all, it was very interesting to release, you know, 
Uh, first of all, I was waiting for Halloween time, the October to yeah. watch it. This movie, oh, came, nice. these 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 trilogies came out in July, and I was like, "But why? <laughs> I don't know why you did that." Like this October seems like the perfect it's time to do that. Season. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, I'm gonna wait for this, and I did. And uh, then they decided to release. They had a whole trilogy plan and released it one week from each other, and they marketed it as like a um a, a trilogy, like a trilogy of a week, uh, month event or something like that. Um, but yeah, I was, I, what, what are your thoughts on that before I, I say my thoughts? I, I really enjoyed it. I watched it with my wife cause we try to like watch something new on Fridays if we can. Um, Very nice. and I just loved the whole like teen drama violence. <laughs> like, Very violent. You yeah. know, like the killers were not holding back and that made it terrifying. Cause I thought like, Oh, you know. This teenager's in this, you know, it's going to be like a teeny bop thing. Oh, fun, mm-hmm. you know, maybe somebody. But in like the first five minutes, they tell you exactly what kind of story you're getting into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you got Robin Hawk in there and all those kinds of things. And just the slashers, they they didn't care. <laughs> like, they would axe murder anybody. They, they had yeah. no, like, you know, specific rule or whatever. And I thought that that was like just really... That, that's what kept me scared. That's what kept me on the edge of my seat. You know, characters that I started to really like, like the little drug dealer girl in high school or whatever. Not to spoil <laughs> it for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, there are certain characters who just go through things, and it just is like, whoa! <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, you know, like while the story isn't all that deep or anything like that, in horror movies, I don't always need it to be, but it was mm-hmm. just enough to keep me engaged and try to figure out, like, okay... What happens next? What is this all going to boil down to? I, I really right. enjoyed that. It was an interesting three-act structure because obviously this was panned out to be hell. Even at the end of part one and part two, they were like, wait until you see the next thing. And they had like this whole <laughs> mini trailer for you. And I was like, yeah. are you are you, are you you afraid that people aren't going to know that when they start part one and two, they're not going to know there's a three involved? <laughs> um, but I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, no, I'm kind of with you on the fact that like as far as slashers go – I wasn't a huge fan of part one. I felt like they was very like a little bit childish in a way. But when it came to the slasher aspect Scream of Junior. it, exactly like a Scream <laughs> Junior. Um, but it, when it came to the actual like slasher, like yeah, some and some cla- slashers they like toy with the victim or they, you know, it takes a while for the to victim to actually get killed or not get killed or run away. But these they showed no remorse within like two seconds. They're like. Gotcha. And you're like, yeah. okay, they were that was trying to kill. <laughs> yeah, like like for real though. Like they weren't like literally. You made one wrong move and they get you yeah. in the throat. They get you in the stomach. And you're like, yeah. man, they didn't even they didn't even Put like think about it. Grinder. Or that too. Yep, that happened. <laughs> um, for me, where the story actually picked up, uh, like I thought that was a better told story was um, was when part two happened. I think I think part two when they focused on because part one was in 1994, then it focused to I think 1978 I believe yeah. was the next one. Yeah. yeah. And then after that it went to 1666 because it's yeah. revolving around a curse, and so we got to learn how the curse basically got started in part three and kind of like why is this all happening uh, in, in this particular um, you know uh, world that they presented. And I felt like the first one didn't really nail it, and maybe after that, like the second one, I felt like treated the, the this itself a little bit more seriously, and then I was able to get into it. And then when we went in 19 uh, I'm sorry in 1666, that was a little bit better. 
um, that was like, okay, I'm already invested into this story, so let's see how this all ends. And so I was kind of a little bit more wrapped up into it than I was. So I think I think it I think it was like for me it was like two, three, and then one. If I had to like put a little a rating next to it, but overall, like I thought it was an interesting tactic for for Netflix to do, and um, I think it was effective on the story they were trying to tell. Because for at, to be honest, at the end, it, it got me with that twist. I wasn't really expecting that to kind of all go down like that. Um, again, still a little bit cartoonish, but I think that comes with the horror genre uh, in and of itself as well. <laughs> and I think they were also making a comment on that uh, at, at me personally. But yeah, I was kind of about that. Um, but yeah, all right, uh, 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 Brandon, it sounds like you've been watching a lot of horror. Obviously that is your jam. So if you were the one, if you, if you, did you watch this all this month or were you, this was like throughout, throughout the pandemic as it came out and everything, you know, I saw Malevolent, uh, Gunpowder, Milkshake, Kate, Beckett, Awake, uh, like I said, The Strangers 2, (laughs) um, Why the Last Man? So yeah, it's yeah. It, it sounds like obviously lot. we know your type of film that you kind of go after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Ernesto, let's move over to you. What have you been watching? Man, he's putting me to shame. I don't have. I know, right? He's got a, he got a lot in there. <laughs> he got a lot. I have like two or three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't have much, but I what are we, me and my wife, have been watching is you season three. Mm, and man, yeah. you've watched. Have you watched? Have you watched the season? It. Yeah. Oh, we're about. I think we're about halfway through. I will have to say this season is really good. It's probably yeah. their best one so far. Like I it's agree. continually to get better. And I was a little Absolutely. worried. I remember last year. I remember speaking about being a little worried because I felt like they were at a good. They were at a good like stopping point and like where they were going wasn't that interesting. But it has taken a. They definitely they wrote a good story for this season. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. And I am very intrigued because it seems like they're building up to something else big happening in the season that I'm really looking forward to. So okay, really looking forward to finishing that. Um, I'm still on my you know my week to week watch. I'm watching uh, Lucifer. I'm kind of mm-hmm. burning through that. It's really you know that's still pretty good. It, you know you're getting exact like a monster of the week. You know the crime of the week that they got to solve is perfect for that. That uh that forty five minute break watch, <laughs> yeah. um, and actually besides Dune, I think that's I actually think that's all I have this week. That's it. Yeah, I I, I know that we are very close of starting uh you season three, um so I'm looking forward to and you into that. need to get on it. I know I, I need to get I need to get on a lot of things honestly, uh <laughs> but but you is one of them. So yeah, I think that, and like I said before, um, sex education is another one we want to dive into. Uh, so it looks like we have some time this weekend. So it looks like we're gonna, you know, watching a lot of TV, which is what I like. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm kind of with you, Ernesto. Aside from the Fear Street trilogy that I, I feel like I spend most of my time watching, um, I watched two other movies that were also in line with the horror-ish genre. Um, Brandon, I don't know if you saw this movie. This is part of the Blumhouse thing they did with Amazon. They partnered with them. The movie was called Nocturne. Uh, no, I haven't uh, watched that yet. Okay. Um, I, I think, uh, Ernesto, last year we watched Black Box mm-hmm. um, that from the Blumhouse Amazon thing. So this is part of that. Like, I'm going, it's been a full year that since that happened. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get around to some of the horror movies that's been sitting on my list for, like, ever. Um, and so, like, this is a good time to watch it. I feel I'm in the spooky mood. Um, spooky. Feeling spooky. Uh, so I, uh, so I watched not, I think it's Nocturne, I think it might be called. Um, I, I think that might've been the best in that series, to be honest. 
Oh, like, okay. It it was it was really good. It focuses on a um, uh, a, a twin who there. So the two sisters are both in like this um, performing arts. Um, looks like high school. And so they both play the piano. One is better than the other. And so one is more outgoing and uh, she she performs better. The other one's a little bit more shy and is good, but not as good as your sister, always being compared to the sister. And then uh, somebody uh, in the class committed suicide at the very beginning of the movie. And so that was all the chatter. Um, as they were cleaning out her locker, like I guess one of the books fell that she had in the in her locker. And she the, the shy twin... Uh, found the book and started reading from it, and then that's when the spookiness started happening. And and I'll say this: the the last shot in that movie, haunting. It was I was I was like, oh, that is so disturbing. I did Sorry, not. What's the movie again? Noc- Nocturne, and I could oh. be saying the name wrong. N o c t u r n e. Oh, so um, I think it's just Nocturne. Nocturne. Okay. Yeah, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Um, <laughs> no, you know. You, you, Correct me, please. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, Nocturne. So like, and the movie kind of just focuses on like you you see as she's reading the book, you see that she's going through a change, of, and then things starting to turn around for her. And so like you kind of see that progression going about. And um, is actually the um, I think Sydney Sweeney. Sweeney yes, is her up, name. Yeah. She was in The White Lotus. She played the blonde daughter in yeah. White Lotus from The Rich Family. So she was like she she was headlining it, and um, yeah. So I think uh, I think that it was um, definitely a highlight there. And the other movie that I saw was Inheritance, and that started uh, Lily James and um, uh, Simon Pegg. And if you want to see Simon Pegg not be a comedian, go watch that movie. He okay. he he played a really good creepy person. And I was about it. It's more of a thriller, less than a horror, but I was down for it. I think the less you know about this movie, the better. So I found out on HBO Max, Inheritance. Go watch it. It was really good. Uh, so yeah, anyway, that's all I've been watching for this week. So now we're going to move over to our spoiler review, which is Dune. Brandon, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on Dennis Vitively News' Dune? I, I really enjoy Dune as a visual work. Um it's kind of crazy to see it now because uh, when I was a kid, um, my parents were like into Dune. I think they had like a VHS set or something like that and some books laying around the house. And I would randomly watch, see them watch again and I would hear the whole silence thing and watch people <laughs> zapping sound guns and stuff at people. But I don't really remember it that much. Uh, so being able to watch it in the movie on the scale that I did, um, you know, in IMAX. I was kind of blown away, uh, you know, um, I always look into, like, what VFX company worked on a movie and stuff, and DNEG, or D-N-E-G, um, they worked on this one, and there's a particular shot in there that's happening during, like, a, like a blitz or an ambush, where, um, uh, what's his name, uh, he played Thanos in Infinity War, um, Josh oh, Brolin, oh, no, Josh Rowland, yes, Josh, yeah, Josh Rowland, um, Josh Rowland, um, you know, he looks up and he says, like, Mother of God. And there is a magnificent shot that is so well matched in terms of lighting for the CGI and the VFX occurring in that shot. Seeing that one little part made it worth it seeing it in IMAX for me. Um, they just do such a good job on blending what's shot in camera uh, and practical and, um, you know, what's done with uh, CGI or VFX as a whole. Uh, you know, story-wise, I thought it was, 
you know, pretty decent. Um, I understand they were trying to tell a whole lot in one movie alone. I mean, the, the movie's runtime was like two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, um, right. You know, uh, but I just, I was just, I was immersed the entire time. And that, a lot of times that's all I ask a movie to keep me doing. Like, not once did I suspend my disbelief, even with the ornithopters that are kind of like built like dragonflies and everything like that. Um, but I thought the sound was just incredible. At times, like certain times, like uh, the sound got in the way of things like dialogue scenes where people are practically like whispering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to watch it again on HBO Max from home with the subtitles on so that I have a little bit more context for certain things that I feel like I missed. But yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Denis Villeneuve, I think, um, you know, I think that him and his team did an amazing job. They took quite a risk, especially after, you know, how Blade Runner 2049 did. I loved it. We loved it. But, you know, it's, a, it's just like the original Blade Runner movie did, where it's just like people didn't appreciate it while it was in the theater. It it technically flopped. Um, but, you know, it still got made. So for him to take the budget that he had, make this movie, even though it already said, you know, just part one with the intention of making part two, it could have been very real where they were just like, yeah, we're not moving forward. Not enough people saw this. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm glad that they did, and I'm glad that I saw it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, Nurse, what are your thoughts? Um, I really, I actually also really enjoyed it, and I kind of went into it because I have to be honest with you. So I've been trying, I've been like trying to burn through the book. It's like, oh, I'm gonna read the book before the movie, and like the beginning of the book, which is basically this movie, which is the first half, was like not as interesting. I just didn't find it. It just didn't captivate me enough, or maybe like I didn't. I, I, this is something you definitely need to see. I feel like it needs to be seen. But I feel reinvigorated after watching the. F- this movie to go back and revisit the book now that I can understand the characters and everything else and everybody else um, a little bit a little bit better. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Brandon, I think is a scene you're talking about is when he when he says that is when it, it looks like like he's just shooting all these rockets from whatever the ship is yeah. in the sky. I thought yeah. the same thing. I thought that was one <laughs> of the, the most beautiful scenes. Like it was like raining fire. It actually reminded me of when he tells his people to rain fire like down yeah, in Endgame. Avengers Endgame. Oh, yeah. it, that when I thought that I was like, oh, it's like an Endgame. It's like rain yep. fire. <laughs> Did you catch like how the mothership looked in the night sky? <laughs> Whereas like that that like like worm shaped ship. Or oh yes, sitting yes. in the night sky and it looked like one of the moons because it was so massive and yep. like just the lighting of that, how the match, how it was matched, it felt real. It looked real. It's like oh my god. It all looked. Really it all up. looked great. It all looked really great. I yeah. actually thought Timothy Chalamet. I thought he did a really great job. Although yeah. mm-hmm. I, I do. Only thing I'm, I was a little disappointed about is that they marketed Zendaya to be in this movie, but she didn't really. She was there. Yeah, like she wasn't in it. In like, yeah. in like dream flashbacks, and then like a little bit towards the end. But yeah. I've actually read. So this is like when this movie ends. It's like the end of book. I think it's book one in the actual mm-hmm. book, so I'm a, I'm a little bit ahead of this. She is she is a very pivotal pivotal character within the story. She becomes extremely important later. Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does sound like the obvious. It does feel like that she has a bigger presence in, in in the second part, obviously because like at the end of this movie he goes with her and we yeah, just they join the fremen from her. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with agreeance on both of you. I actually, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was a two and a half hour movie. I went to go watch it right after work and mm. I, I was nodding. It was, I was, it was hard to not try to f- not fall asleep in this movie. Um, but I saw this in IMAX and I'm talking about the one I drive people, you know, you know what IMAX oh, did? Point Orlando. Screen, Ooh, Point Orlando. Man. You know what I'm talking about? 
IMAX. That's the IMAX. <laughs> that is the IMAX. Let me tell you that even Hans Zimmer massive score was still making me not off a little bit. But that being said, that was also the thing that woke me up when I was like, Bernard, I'm like, I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hans Zimmer. I didn't mean to fall asleep on you. Um, but he, but that being said, like I had a, a little bit of a hard time following along with this movie. And I feel like with a lot of these movies, these types of movie that's so dense, um, I, I tend to have a difficult time following along. And, and I felt the same way with Tenet. It's like big in scope, but I'm, I'm, having a hard time following along with the story. And so I feel like a rewatch is needed for this. And Brandon, you said it very well that there were some scenes where the music was overpowering the dialogue. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. And I'm sure it's important, but I need subtitles (laughs) here, please. Um, But the biggest takeaway for me is that this movie was visually amazing. Like seeing it in that big screen, I was like, I'm literally like looking up at the screen and I was like, I need to turn my head left and right just to see what's put in front of me. I mean, obviously, yes, it's a big screen, but they have a lot to show you there. And uh, and I I think immerse is a, a really good word to use. Hans Zimmer's score, like with the screaming women, it's like you would think that he doesn't have anything left in the tank after making all these classic <laughs> scores. Like, oh my God, since he, Lion King, <laughs> since Lion King and Inception, is like this guy still has it, man. Like he he created a like the the score was really was what hooked me into this movie very much so, and so I was in I was like as much as some things I weren't understanding, I was definitely enthralled by it. Uh, another thing is, uh, Stalin, uh, Stalin Skarsgård who played the, 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 the Baron Harkin. Terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Oh I really like more God. buff in this version of the movie, but it, that yeah. it works. <laughs> like, and when I, when I listened to him in the book, I imagined him as more of like this, like this brute overlord. And they really painted a completely opposite picture here. Like almost like a, mm. like a, to, to here he was almost like the king of excess. Like he, he's too rich. He don't need to walk. He just fucking levitates everywhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And he's so, and he's like the only person that's like really, really super overweight. Yeah. Yes. And, and the fact that he is like that of like a, a visceral being, like it almost felt like, and I know that George Lucas took inspiration from Dune to make his property, but it felt a lot of like, like Star Wars is like, like the Baron was the, um, was the emperor. Obviously the name is right there. Uh, Dar- uh, Dave Batista played more like a Darth Vader, like Arcanine. an apprentice to him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Timothy Chalamet prayed like, uh, Luke Skywalker going on a journey after a demise to his family. It's all there. So, I mean, Jesus, um, uh, but, but talking about um, about the story, a, a thing that kind of resonated with me the most was the conversation that Oscar Isaac had with Tim Lee, Tim, Timothy Chalamet. And is, I feel like it's a conversation I don't really hear that often when it comes to kings and princes and the lineage down the line. And he said this conversation, it really sticks with me. And he said, like, hey... Uh, you know, some, you know, you know, when you're ready to be, you know, to be king, like, you know, it's not, I, I later found out like the, what pushed me to want to do this. And, and if you don't want to do this, that's okay. Because the only thing you have to be is my son. And that's it. I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard. A ki- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Like in my opinion, like have a king to be like, you know, if you don't want to be the king, that's fine. As long as you're my son and you do good things, that's all I can ask for you. Yeah, he told him, he, he basically big... told him to like give it the honest try. Give it a try. If you don't really right. like it, then we'll move on. But yeah, and them, I thought that was like, he points at the graves of all his grandfathers. 
Right. Yes, exactly. Is like at least, you know, give it a shot. But he wasn't pressuring him. No. And I feel like that he was a good person through and through. And it's unfortunate to see his demise, which was a badass way to go. Just saying. Yeah. I really the, like the callbacks. I'm sorry. No, no, go uh, ahead. The callbacks. No, the, time, uh, the first moment that they uh, mentioned that the grandfather used to wrestle oxen uh, with his bare hands. And then they keep on showing like the ox heads and everything like that, all the way up to Oscar Isaac's character's exit. Um, to the point where it's just like, okay, are they trying to make a, another callback of like, you know, he is the the matador or whatever like that, and he's trying to take down the bull, which would be the baron and everything. Like they kept on playing off of these different, um, you know, shots and everything that I think fed the theme the whole time. I don't know if they were doing something more to that or if there's like more context in the book of that kind of thing. I don't know. I didn't read it. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought that that was like one a small thing that they did that I found myself appreciating, even though I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. As a big sci-fi fan as you are, what what was like the big takeaway sci-fi-wise that you were able to get from this movie? Force fields in the way that they show oh, yeah. how they're supposed to work. Because they made them feel like real. Like even the person who just could not understand or even like try to guesstimate how a force field would work in actual science. Um, like they made it make sense in some kind of way. You see a device, you see that it puts some kind of field around them, and you see that it takes a little while to over penetrate that field it has right. color communication you know it's blue when it's strong it's red when it started to get weakened gamers should have loved that <laughs> um, and then there's this moment that that night that blitzkrieg or whatever um where they start firing on all of their ships immediately and one of the ships when it explodes it explodes inside the force field it capsizes in the force field and it, there's like a delay effect it doesn't the force field doesn't break all the fire is still in there and then the force field breaks that was my number one favorite VFX shot in the movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, it that, was. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. No, no, go ahead. You just pause for a second, but go ahead, go ahead. The the other thing um, was with the ornithopters, how they functioned, um, and how their wings functioned, and the way that they captured things, like how how it would look with like motion blur. Uh, against the frame rate of the camera that is being seen through, or even the camera of our eyes, uh, which is closest to like 35 millimeter lenses, um, there are there are a lot of visual cues in that movie where it's just like, okay, they got some smart people working on these scenes <laughs> because yeah. like they got so many things right. Um, I I think the, the what we, what were the uh, the the vehicles called again? The the flying ornithopters. Ornithopters. Okay, I'm gonna butcher that name every time I say it again. <laughs> Ornithopters. Those were really cool. I I really loved how like they were there was a practicality to them and like even it uh, like, uh, pushed the story forward when they were like you gotta like flow with the sand when he was trying to fight with it and he just like put the wings all in there and they were just flowing with the sandstorm and like just spinning around and that's what got his survival. Thought that was really cool. Um, what were you guys thinking of like the mind control powers that was kind of presented in the movie? Uh, Ernesto, was that pretty much adapted from the book as well? Yeah. Well, that that's a, the main that's like the main thing is that she's a Benny Jesseret. So she's mm-hmm. from these clan of people who like basic. So you could Space think of them witches. like Jedi's. <laughs> think, of them, think of them like, like Jedi witches. That's kind of, mm-hmm. that's kind of, kind of how I think about them. They use, they use their, they, she uses her nice. voice to control. And, so, and I thought that was a really cool portrayal of like, at least use of it in the film. Like you see him trying and then even like when they got captured and the mother's like, don't you, don't you try that. Don't you do that. Like this isn't, 
This isn't good. I wouldn't recommend this. Or when she judges him, when she gets that guy to release him, she's (laughs) and she kills him. She's like, she's like, you're you forced it too much. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Don't judge me, woman. I just saved us. (laughs) (laughs) Or how she just kind of took control too, because she was like, as soon as like she was like the the gag was out of her mouth, she just said it, and I was like, damn, Rebecca Ferguson, you're not playing around over here. She's Obi Wan. (laughs) Seriously, I like how the movie, uh, you know, with their runtime, they I feel like they used it wisely uh you know and yeah. like they do a lot of and this is referenced even in youth season three which i appreciated but there's a, a literary device i think called uh Chekhov's gun and it's like mm. it basically means that if you're going to show a certain kind of weapon characters or, or the audience really are going to expect the character to use it mm-hmm. um and they show the chris blade and everything like that and it's in that scene where you know rebecca ferguson's character is just like i'm telling you that's not going to be enough <laughs> um, and yeah. you know uh, in the in the two ways you know we saw uh, her trying to get Timothy Chalamet um, or Paul to use the voice in the beginning and he wasn't good at it he didn't want to do it uh, but then and when they're in that ornithopter you know we see them both kind of use it in this effective way and then yeah. with the Chris Blade we see the um, the rite of passage or that moment of combat um, mm. which was sad <laughs> um, but oh, yeah. you know uh, and then it gets used I thought that they did a really good job at kind of uh, you know fitting those premonition connections in there in that runtime like when he told duncan uh when he got off the ship like you know i felt like i should have been there in this nightmare yeah. uh, i saw you in the hallway with a bunch of bodies and then we get to that point in the the third act <laughs> um and it's just like oh man <laughs> yeah know, we saw it coming but still it so. still hurts when, when like you didn't know if it was true or not and then you're like oh no his visions are the real deal here yeah um, how, what do you think about the ending? Like, I've heard a lot of, like, complaints saying it was a little bit anticlimactic. Obviously, this is a part one of a part two story. So, like, did you feel like they should have ended it on, like, a higher note, or were you fine with the ending? I was pretty fine with the ending. Um, it, and it took, I, I'll be honest, it took me a while to cope with the ending, because I would have loved for it to be, like, on this super powerful final note. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I think about it, the visions that uh, Paul was having started to ramp up in these super violent ways. And then we saw him with the blue eyes of the, um, the I forgot the Fremen, uh, the Fremen um, and everything. And he was with them, standing with them. Um, and they kept on doing a shot on the uh, guy's eyes who looked a lot like Jason Momoa, uh, Duncan mm-hmm. Idaho in a head wrap. Um, and we'll figure out why in uh, part two, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah but... I thought that it was pretty huh. No, no, no. I was just gonna say it, but we saw Duncan Idaho get, you know, slaughtered at the end. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's he he might come back. Somehow. That's true. That's true. Um, but you know, uh, I I thought I liked the ending. Um, being you know this whole thing of like, okay, we've seen Paul go through his own little hero's journey where, right. All right, I don't want to be king. I don't want to do this. All right, I'm gonna go on this adventure anyway because the inciting incident happened. Now I'm all in it. I'm in it now. Me and my yeah. mom. <laughs> you know, now, you know, uh, so now we've got, okay, he's at the point where he's accepted his calling. He's like, my journey leads into the desert now. I know it. Um, so now I think number two or part two is just going to be explosive from the start to the finish. If that's really where they're going to end, like part two and done. Yeah, uh, Ernesto, since you are, you know, you read the source material, do you feel like this was a good spot to stop at uh, based on where you are in the book? Yeah, because it, it's like in, in exact, it's the midpoint. It's the midpoint of the book. And like right after, like after he kills that guy, like that's where the book ends. That's where, oh, the book, okay. that's where book one ends. Right. So it was pretty, was, would you say that the whole 
first part of this movie, or sorry, the whole this whole movie was kind of true to the source material. A hundred percent. Yeah. Was there anything that that they did that you wish they did they did or did not do, and vice versa? Uh, I do wish that they would have made the um, Doctor Leah Kynes. I feel like I wish they would have made her death a little bit more impactful because in the yeah. book they make it it's like this really big drawn out thing. About that. Like in the <laughs> in the book, um, she actually she doesn't get eaten by a sand. And actually, in the book, it's a man. In the book, um, she doesn't get eaten by a sandworm. Like I guess on planet Arrakis, there's like these um these hot spots that like have like little volcanoes and they explode and that's how and that's how he died that's how Doctor Leah Kynes and it and mm-hmm. he's like he's lost if I remember correctly he gets lost in the desert and he lands up on one of these dunes that's like like a little mini volcano and he starts hallucinating and he starts and it and it kind of goes into the history of Arrakis but he goes it's played out as a back and forth of him hallucinating of him talking to his father who was the past geologist on Arrakis before him so and, and like to me like. Like being being lost in parts of the book, that was like one scene of the book that was like really, really, really done well. But I don't know if Doctor Leah Kynes is dead yet, only because at the end we see them go down with the sandworm. But somewhere in the end we see someone riding a sandworm. Yes. Through, but I don't know if that's um, if that that's hers. if that's Paul's vision or if that's her. Like writing, I, I don't remember a hundred percent that part of the movie. I it would be nice to see if maybe because she did have the like the things hooks. out to yeah. the hooks because yeah. the fremen because that's one of the thing about the fremen is that they know how to they know how to ride they know how to use the sandworms to their advantage. So it's very possible that that Doctor Leah Kynes is not dead yet, and maybe that scene that I'm talking about will play out in part two, which I kind of hope so because it was a very to me it was a very pivotal part of the book. Mm-hmm. I, and I feel like uh, like you mentioned the sandworm. The sandworm in that movie looked cool, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Like he was treated like a whale in the sea. I think even one of the sound cues, like as he was like going away, it was like oceans in the water, like mm-hmm. waves hitting the ocean. And like to me, the coolest part is that when it kind of slow in there, and so like you see the sandworm kind of consuming whatever is in the sand, and he and you see it slowly turning, and then all of a sudden you see like the little hairs and his teeth, and then you see the hole and you're like oh my god and then again you're watching in that big ass screen in IMAX I'm like I'm terrified they're going to eat us too I'm, not, I'm yeah. scared um, I think the reveal was amazing it was incredible and then, then I saw like holy shit you can ride one of those yes <laughs> <laughs> I know you can do that but let's do that um, but yeah I, again I, the biggest thing for me um, well I'm sorry Besides from that I think all the performances were really good like, I think they did a really good job of presenting a lot of interesting characters. I had an all-star cast with it. I was just I was just sad that a lot of them died in this movie. Like, Oscar Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, um, they, they, I, I like these characters, and, like, I was rooting for them. Um, and they're like, oh, man, you're gone already? Like, you didn't even make it to, the, where's your all-star cast for the second one, Dennis? You gotta, <laughs> let's, let's chop, chop, let's get this all-star cast going. But I really wish they would move on to the second part, but um, I really like the, the characters, the story. I feel like once I rewatch it again, I'll understand it more, at least like the little thing that they were introducing. But overall, I kind of like final thoughts here. Um, I thought this was a real, I, 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 I didn't love it. 
but I, but I really liked it. And I think Brandon, like to your credit, um, I think with this long runtime that it still, it, it did a really good job with the pacing of the movie. I never, because the music and the visual, the, and again, the big thing was the visuals was like immersed me into the film that the two and a half hours kind of just flew by. And so, I mean, Dennis Villeneuve is a masterwork at the, at, with, with, with his filmmaking. He knows exactly what he wants to do. The cinematographer with the name escapes me right now. Um, he is, uh, like, I thought it was, um, Roger Deakins, like, cause he's a very, uh, very, uh, famous, um, uh, cinematographer, but it wasn't, I forgot the name of it. Um, but he, um, he is on board to do part two and he is also the, the DP for the Batman that's coming out in March. Greg Frazier. Greg Frazier, Mm. thank you. So if you liked his work in Dune, you're going to see it again in The Batman. And I'm like, if this is The Batman, like, hell yeah. Like, are you (laughs) kidding me? Like, that movie, I wasn't (laughs) expecting... I know. Like, I wasn't expecting this movie to be visually amazing, but now, like, now that's all I'm going to be thinking about. is like, I want this to be on par with this. Um, Dennis did a really good job, like, really immersing me in this world. And, And Ernesto, as you know... I wasn't the big fan of Arrival. I feel like I do need to give it a second chance, but it didn't really resonate. I love Arrival is one of my top ten of all time. That's yeah. Story for the storytelling alone. That's such a great film. I really need to go back and watch it, but that movie didn't resonate with me the first time I watched it. And the same with Blade Runner 2049. I didn't care for the first one, and then 2049 is like it was good, uh, but I didn't really care for it either. But this one, I feel like for me, like I now I get Dennis Villeneuve and his like masterwork of filmmaking. Like this one really got to me as far as feeling immersed from it. Uh, Brandon, what are your final thoughts? Uh, yeah, Dune. It's it's a movie that I feel like is gonna grow on everyone like even people mm. who uh, if they weren't a fan of it over time they're gonna be like man that was a really really well done film you know like they'll they'll see more movies and they'll you know they'll look back you know five ten years from now and be like wow yeah that that was there was a lot of artistry that went into that film if they like nothing else they will be able to respect uh denis Villeneuve's uh work and his his team's work on that film um and it's I see a lot of people who, uh, you know, like my my uh, dad, my stepfather. Um, he, uh, I remember him reading those books when I was a kid, and I know that it's like a crazy time to see so many people getting into Dune now uh, because of this movie, or especially for the people who were like Dune nerds back then and Star Wars nerds back then to see this be what it is. Uh, that that's amazing to see as well. I I'm a fan of the movie. I can't wait for the second one. And, uh, yeah, I, I am definitely a huge fan of Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he has not missed, not once. <laughs> uh, Ernesto, your final thoughts? And kind of, like, since you're reading the source material, what would you like to see going into the second movie? So I think, well, just offhand, like, the the books, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause. And then when the second one's getting ready to come out, I'm going to reread. I'm going to reread it from the beginning and rewatch the first one because one thing I think that this film really does is it really at least for me it really like put the visuals in place and really set the characters like really put a name to a face because a mm. lot of I mean think about all these different names all these pivotal characters that they have in this in this movie that you see like think about reading about them you're like who is that who's that person <laughs> with like what the that? fuck yeah. is a harkening yeah. Where, who's Caladan? Oh, Caladan's the, pa- the planet. <laughs> like, Why is there a yeah. in Idaho? <laughs> is it is the planet Dune? What what is Arrakis? Like what? 
<laughs> but th- th- you make a good. That was the reason why I wasn't thrilled to go watch Game of Thrones. I felt the same way. Like it was hard to follow along, and I do feel like that with Dune. But yeah, to your point, um, it, with with you reading the source material, obviously putting a name to the face will probably make it a little bit easier. Yeah, and it, I think this movie will sit better once the second one releases because mm-hmm. then then it'll then you're like, oh, I can just go from part one right into part two. But now we're yeah. in that wait, you're in that wait period. It's like, but I want the other half of the story. Like, yeah, <laughs> like uh, shits just start popping off. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, quick, quick take though. Do you guys think this went better off as a series instead of like a two part movie? I think it, it already really was a series. Have... It yeah, was a series. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I but think, like with um, with Dennis Villeneuve in the hands of it, right? Ooh. They could have had easily an HBO Max build up because right now I haven't watched the Foundation yet, but I wanted to. I saw a trailer and and now I see people talking about it. And I'm like, okay, Apple Plus is clearly making their own like Game of Thrones level uh, stuff. They're throwing a bunch of money into it. And mm-hmm. HBO Max or HBO, they could have done that with Dune. You know, they could have gotten a slow. They could have taken a, a, a really serious bet. Uh, and risk, um, but yeah. I feel like people, the fandom would have definitely gotten into Dune, uh, and it's it's like Game of Thrones did a really interesting thing where it made us root for the people who were rich and kings and queens and had it all, but then they lost it all. I feel like Dune uh, had that similar has that similar power, like it's making us root for the the rich people, the aristocrats uh, who mm-hmm. had it all and they lost it all tragically, and now you have this young prince uh, who would be king. Um, so there's a lot of space to tell a huge epic tale across a couple seasons uh but you know it is what it is uh whatever they do yeah. i'll be excited for it i do feel like he was and he did honor the source material i mean it was two and a half hours and we are at the literal half point of the book yeah, yeah. so one, one to assume that the other movie will probably around the same runtime about the two and a half hours yeah. yeah yeah um i will say that after watching part one of this i i i I would prefer the movie version and not a limited series because of just literally watching this visual. I don't know if they would have put in all that money into the visual effects on this if, if this was a limited <laughs> series. And I feel like we might have been held back. The fact that he can tell his story with I think I think a movie format, especially with IMAX and everything, I think that's a, the perfect um, medium for this story to be told. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's our spoiler review on Dune. Uh, it, I, I forgot what I normally say after this, <laughs> but there you go. That's our spoiler review on Dune. Um, Brandon, Brand- people want to yeah. follow you. Where can they <laughs> thank, follow you? Thank you. Oh, uh, anybody who wants to follow me can follow me anywhere at the hat, not T H E H A D N O T. Uh, same handle, Instagram, Twitter, uh, not really Facebook. Uh, I, don't, I haven't really been using my Facebook all that much, so sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, main channels uh, on Instagram and uh, Twitter and whatnot, and that's where you can also find more information um, about Birth of Flowers, my latest project, uh, a horror anthology. Hope that you guys love it when it comes out. And like we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to provide a link to his GoFundMe, so if you want to support him and make all of his dreams come true and see the Birth of Flowers come a reality, <laughs> uh, go support him because we want to see it too. Um, Brandon, thank you very much for joining us yet again. I always have some great insight when we have you on to the show. Love to hear about your updates on your upcoming projects. And uh, again, you, you're the you're the big sci-fi guy, so we'd love to talk to you about more sci-fi <laughs> stuff. Can't wait to plan your next visit back here. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. seriously. <laughs> That'd be excellent. Thank you, guys. Uh, it, 
No, thank you. If you want more from us, uh, as always, you can hit us up on our social media channels on Instagram at box office underscore bingers, where we have all the latest news, movie showdown Mondays, and new to stream Fridays, as well as you can check us out on our Facebook and TikTok page at box office bingers. Next week, Ernesto, like we tease, we are hitting Hundo. the hundo one zero zero we are celebrating a milestone you don't want to miss next week and we're going to be talking about one of the biggest things that has come basically i feel like all year in 2021 we're talking about squid game people and we're going to be diving into the whole series and what's that all about so yeah you don't want to miss that episode and also we're gonna have fun it's the hundred like we're, we're a millennia now so yeah we're gonna we're, we're gonna reflect we're gonna reflect, reflect a little bit. We're gonna have a good. T- we're gonna have a good. We're gonna have a fun time. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Uh, Brandon, again, thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate you coming back every single time. Um, love to have you on. Hopefully, we'll have you on again soon. And uh, and there you go. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Come back for the fun next week. Uh, it's always gonna be a blast. And for that, I've been your host Matt Diaz. Been Ernesto Santos. See ya. <laughs>